This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. Christopher Nolan gets insomnia and Men in Black fight the Xenomorph for the Battle of the Threequel this week on 302010. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a wonderful journey of all the greatest anniversaries of 302010 and 10 years ago. We're talking movies, music, TV, video games, and so very, very much more. And this is a very exciting week to look back uh, at these pop culture milestones. Hello, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and I dance in the barbecue. And I'm J.R. Rawls, and I really should have come up with a line to say, because I didn't. Maybe you can ask Amy Fisher for something. <laughs> okay, Chris, just to be clear to you and our listeners, as I said at the time, that was a story about how J.R. was dumb. <laughs> yeah, any other celebrities you want to pester? Pretty much all of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you give me the opportunity, sure. Yeah, Rudy Giuliani's <laughs> on Cameo. <laughs> it was a real exciting week for doing this show, I gotta say. like, every, I, I, I shouldn't be surprised, because it's summer. Uh, in th- on 302010, meaning we're going to be talking about May 20th to the 26th, 1992, 2002, and 2012. And all the movies are fun and phenomenal, and I don't know, I had a great time this week. <laughs> there is one movie that is exceptionally not fun. Yeah. It is maybe the hardest thing to watch oh, yes. inside a Serbian film. Uh, besides that. Besides that. Um, that has been time. on my watch list for... <laughs> 15 years now, and I couldn't bring myself to no. watch it this week. When? Like, what if your kids Fair caught enough. you? But man, there's so many fun things to talk about this week. Shows ending, series debuting, franchises continuing. It's going to be great. I want to thank right off the bat our Patreons at patreon.com slash laser time. You have a dick load of content coming your way. We are recording extra stuff uh, in high gear. I know we had a little bit of a lull there, but thank you for your continued support. Patreon.com slash laser time. Five bucks! You'll get a bunch of uh, bunch of extra shows especially 30 2010 content and we just assessed we want to do something interesting around die's classic corner segments more on that later but like man some one of these years is very very exciting and we just have to celebrate it so on to the show 30 2010 may 20th to the 26th 30 years ago 1992 a little bit of news to bring you in u.s president george h.w bush orders coast guard to intercept boats with haitian refugees fleeing fleeing the coup there and uh, to take them to guantanamo including a separate camp for those with hiv yeah we generally take it as a bad sign when you are taking certain people and putting them in their own little camp Mm -hmm. shall we say oh we did uh, this shit was fucked up. Uh, Haiti was in absolute turmoil, which is kind of the default for Haiti for a while. I didn't their president get assassinated? Them? And I just haven't heard anything uh, else about Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we start using Guantanamo as a mass prison, which I think is the first time we did that, really. We might have done that with some Cubans before the boat left. Mm. But using Guantanamo, this weird chunk of land that we just have from Cuba because of the Spanish-American War, is... Um, not cool to hold people without trial off the coast and pretend that we have laws, I guess, especially when you are just taking people with HIV away from their families and putting them in their own little camp because they're dangerous. Hmm. 
uh yeah there was some pretty big outcry and eventually um we knocked that off <sighs> which sucked all i can think about is detaining people based on race and a disease and it just man i thought things had changed okay moving on to the lighter the lighter stuff which is what we usually focus on the pop culture of it all and the movies this week uh, just a big italian kissy hand uh, to this week in film <laughs> lethal weapon 3 still number 1 at the box office lethal weapon this is a series last week i was happy to celebrate even though i think this is the weakest entry but that's like saying bugs life is the weakest pixar film uh, it's perfectly enjoyable still good um, the dinosaur film and the good dinosaur, oh, yeah, which I still have not, dinosaur. I have not brought myself to watch because of the reviews. Like, I don't want to see a flawed Pixar film. I don't want to see <laughs> I that. I heard it's same for much tinier kids. Mm. But yeah, we have another part three. We we're loaded with part threes this week. Honestly. We are, and um, another one that's arguably the most disappointing of the series. I and I because I think you're seeing studios were reticent. Well, not studios, creative people were reticent to do sequels. And we're sort of seeing like, well, fuck you. We want guaranteed money. Uh, we want a, we want a sequel. And to we live in a world now where people are signed to multiple movies. Sequels come out within one to two years of one another. But it wasn't always like that. You had to wait like for the better part of a decade to get a follow up to a movie that you like. Lethal Weapon being a good example of that, an even better one coming later in the show. But the movie. I spent the most time on this week. Howard Hessman and Crispin Glover in Ruben and Ed. A movie I have been trying to see for quite a while. It was released on Blu-ray. But really? if you've... It, yeah, but like a year or so ago. But in case you're not clear of the specific metrics of the show, I can't go buying $30 Blu-rays for every goddamn movie we watch <laughs> on the show. <laughs> Ruben and Ed is utterly unstreamable. It is been kind of lost to time and has been lost for a while. It's a cult favorite about an eccentric uh, man and a, a salesman who team up together to bury a deceased cat in the desert. It is weird. I'll let you figure out which one Crispin Glover plays. <laughs> but uh, and Before it got released on Blu-ray, do you know the only way to watch it? No. The director was personally selling DVDs wow. that he ripped from a VHS copy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So you were watching a VHS rip to a DVD. And that's that's how I became the director website. obsessed with this or, or like tracking it down. Did you ever see the Beaver Trilogy or Beaver Trilogy 4? It's a very, very strange story. It's a documentary and a movie by Trent Harris, the writer and director of Reuben and Ed. And he films this eccentric guy, makes a little documentary about him. Three years later, makes a short film, a narrative film about that guy, cast Sean Penn. Three years later, tries to make a full-blown movie that... I, I forget the exact story. It cast Crispin Glover as the same character. And then they made a documentary called Beaver Trilogy 4, narrated by Bill Hader a few years ago. But it's a fascinating story about a guy trying to make this... It ends up inadvertently casting some of the greatest actors of our time for this film that can never really get off the ground. But this is kind of one of the only other notable things he did. And Howard Hessman just died. And he didn't star in a lot of films. And this is, this is one of them. And it, it's... I couldn't find it anywhere. And I'm good at f tracking down films. This was tough to find. It is semi-famous for I, something I could not track down whether or not was apocryphal, but is fascinating nonetheless. If you've ever seen that Crispin Glover Letterman sequence, <laughs> it is alleged Crispin Glover, that is the character Ruben he is playing in this film, down to the hair and the platform shoes. There are tons of platform shoes jokes in this movie. But... That happened in 1987. It did. And, and this movie finally comes out. Barely. So, in 92. Yeah, the internet can kind of 
as we know now, can spread falsehoods. And this is a small one that's innocuous. And a lot of it was like a Crispin Glover was on Letterman to promote this movie. No, that's impossible. But the director has said he based the character on what Crispin Glover did on that Letterman <laughs> performance. And he looks just like him. He is, his hair is the same, his, his plat- down to the platform shoes and the way he dresses and the way he acts. The movie is weird. I would love to see it. Let me know if you got a copy. Share it with me. I can't find when this movie started, like production, or when it was starting. No, writing it's a small to film. See if the timeline works out because yeah, because because Trent Harris knew Crispin Glover when this when he did his Letterman appearance, and if you've never seen that, we have a little clip of it, and you should watch the whole thing. I don't have. These... You seem to be distraught. They don't. You seem People to be distraught. People try to make me sound a lot weird, and yeah. I'm just. I'm strong, you know. I'm strong. I can arm wrestle. I, uh, do you want to arm wrestle? No. I've been taking. No, no I've taken part. These aren't mine. I can. I can. I can kick. Okay. Okay. Hey, I'm. I'm gonna go check on the top ten. No, do you remember when you first saw that clip? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, like I was. I mean, I think we all went through. A, Crispin Glover obsession recently now he seems like a much more down to earth not a, a, he, he talks more about like what he likes to do film movies mm, with kids with yeah. down syndrome and sue back to the future and whatnot I love Crispin Glover yeah, yeah we had a, a spirited debate over what drug in particular do you think he is on none. like I'm leaning towards the hallucinogen because I'm, he seems like afraid of the audience I, I, none I think that's raw Crispin Glover nothing yeah that's what I for me, it was when I first saw that, it was like, did you know someone went on Letterman high on shrooms? And it was like this fifth generation yeah. tape, you know, a recording of a recording. Uh, it, it's amazing how we spread YouTube clips before YouTube. Like it was yeah. so much work to get this back in the day. But yeah, I watched it, was... it and I was just like, what the hell is this? And I was totally on team. He's on drugs. I don't. Th- but, I, I don't think so. I. I do not think he. But was. I think he's probably playing a character in retrospect. Mm. Whether a... it's this specific character, I, I don't know if the timeline works out. But it seems a character more than drugs. Have you? Yeah. Just do, do yourself a favor right now. Look up Crispin Glover's music video for Clowny Clown Clown. That dude has a lot of eccentricities happening in his head and I wouldn't put it past but I love it. it's it's famous and was written about so much because Letterman literally walks off the stage and if he, he throws a kick and almost hits him in the face he didn't kick Letterman he didn't hit him and I love Letterman for I heard a great Norm Macdonald quote this week about David Letterman and he's just like uh, the joke was different for Letterman and uh, if if the monologue's not funny and the uh, the the segments aren't funny the joke is, are the guests. That's what Letterman would make funny, him talking to guests. So if you, like that Joaquin Phoenix appearance, if you use David Letterman to like be weird for your own thing, he gets visibly pissed. Like, I don't want to be a part of your <laughs> weird performance art. You're here to be part of our per- weird performance art. Uh, we do this to you, not vice versa. I, I'm talking too much about Ruben and Ed, but I've been looking for it. It's Kind of a lost film, even though it's got a release. It's just, man, I really wanted to see it this week, and I could not track it down. I My torrent got to 90% <laughs> as of this recording. Do you, do you really want to spend like an hour and a half to two hours with that character yes. in the desert in Utah? <laughs> yes. If you have not, man, just think of like the river's edge. The intensity of a mm-hmm. young Crispin Glover performance is something we didn't get enough of. And every time I find one streamable, I always will watch a weird Crispin Glover movie. Anyway, moving on. To a movie, I don't know. I don't even know what to say about this. Uh, I feel like this is 
this is the transition for so many things this movie mm -hmm. why does this movie turn out to be somehow important goddamn encino man yeah. a, a, a <laughs> california man outside of america because no one knows what encino is and nor they sh nor should they still think it's a dumb title <laughs> because here's here's the transition first of all we're going to try to make paulie shore a star yes yep. he's in a movie yep. second of all i this seems to be sean Aston's last movie where he plays a teenager Mm. Yeah, Rudy, Rudy. At least he's a college. He's college, yeah. He's college and Rudy. Next movie, and this is the big debut of Mr. Brendan Fraser. Right. Yeah. And it's and it shot yeah. like the whole time watching this. I'm like, is this a joke? Is this? It, it just fe has that feeling of like one of the Adam Sandler movies from Funny People. Like, I cannot believe <laughs> this is. It's so tropey and nineties. Kids in my backyard. Frozen and we'll, we'll we'll dress him up and and he'll make us popular. Like. Right. What? Like, you know, you know, like, like happens. someone who has no social skills and can't speak the language will make you popular. Who also, I mean, that's how my school works. Who also, what you're not with your school. You're not telling them he's a caveman. You're telling him he's an exchange student. Well, this is really, you know, it feels like it's trying to be E.T. meets Bill and Ted. Something you know, like that. It feels very really Bill and Ted. What they were going for yeah. in this film. But in, in, uh, your that's... magical friend who comes from someplace else and solves all your problems, which Link does somehow, some way, through utter pap and garbage. And I have never enjoyed a viewing of a movie so much. I, I, I've I've, I've said this on the show, but I'd like to think I've said it rarely. I love a movie that is falling over itself to be part of the moment it is set in, and it is like a very very this soundtrack unlistenable. But <laughs> but perfectly shows the transition of where we are. There's like alternative acts. There's hair metal. There's hip hop. There's uh, whatever you want to call like a CNC music factory. It made me like, wow, the pop music of the 90s was actually a lot more diverse than I gave it credit for. People were listening to fucking everything in every genre. And, and then it also has like two covers of like 1950s songs because we're also absorbing our parents' nostalgia. So why not a hair metal cover of Wooly Bully? This all happens in this movie. <laughs> It's fucking crazy. Uh, and yeah, the title though, Encino Man. Yes. Uh, it's a place in California. I really feel like we are reaching peak California popularity. Like California as its own little world and the exotic place that everyone who's not in California wants to go to someday. Because that's what I remember of the late Me 80s too. and early 80s. So I like to hear from like people like Matt and Diana who grew up. Hollywood seemed to think we all wanted to be a part of, even though like I don't really give a shit <laughs> like <laughs> about California. Even Dude, though it's boring. Everything is really spread out. You can't get anywhere without a car. I'm 14. I am so bored. <laughs> it's the best state I've ever lived in of the two. Yeah, uh, it was Northern California you lived in, which is a, a separate state. I spent a lot of time in Southern California we, too. We need we need a separate state. <laughs> but Encino Man, like the opposite of good, oh, but yeah, but a joyous screening I had. I it really did. Very 1992. And dude, that is, kind of sells it for me. I also need so dumb. It was so, it was such a good time capsule. Revealed to me last week for some reason that I became the young one on 30 2010 for the first time in any of its incarnations. Yeah. This is yep. my introduction to Pauly Shore. So I've never oh, I'm not watching MTV yet. And there are so many catchphrases they try and force upon people, lexicons that I've never heard before. Squeezing the juice. I remember that. Like Nar we in my went buzz. to the seven eleven and people said that. And I remembered People my age, I'm an 11, 12-year-old kid 
we love this movie. And we did quote Pauly Shore from like, I, I just remember saying, ah, my pancreas. And like, we did say that for a little bit. He, it did work on us because this originated as a vehicle for Pauly Shore, but like, he's an improvisational comedian. Why would we give him the non-speaking caveman line? So, but his, the character's name is Stony Nugs. Stony. It all seems like self-parody, but this is just an earnest 90s movie. I was listening to an interview with Pauly Shore in the present day Mm -hmm. about this film, and he is so wistful Mm -hmm. for this moment in time. Uh, He was 20 years old, Mm -hmm. incredibly famous for a 20-year-old, selling out comedy shows left and right while making incredibly popular movies. And then that just all fell apart. I, I heard the same. He's like, yeah, I'm really sad about it. Like, I, that was the most fun time in my life. And in, in hindsight, like, maybe his shtick grew old, but at least Pauly Shore is not a total piece of shit. <laughs> he just yeah. seems kind of like a nice guy. Yeah, but he's a nice guy who is like, yeah, I peaked at age 20 to 22. Yeah. And that was when our bodies are usually the most healthy. So... To have both your finances and fame and professional and your body all peak in the same time, it's got to be kind of like a letdown to just degrade over. Yeah, and I I think I remember his quote so well because it was just like, I'm, you know, at the center of this mainstream Hollywood movie production. I'm doing well. People are happy. I'm having a great time and I never want it to end. And it does. And I there's nothing I can do to recreate that. It's not up to me. I can't. I think that's fair. I don't see how he could ever be Paulie Shore yeah, I, again. I'll never get this job back, no matter what I do. And I, I didn't hate him in this. I, I I've been groaned at a Paulie Shore performance or two, but like mm. this was. But were, were either of you watching him on MTV? I don't really. Was no. he a VJ? Yeah, I don't even know what I he would, did. No, he had his own show. Um, totally, Paulie. That just seemed to be him hanging out, and and yeah, I just I found the catchphrase is annoying. That's yeah. All. It's it, just like, you're just repeating yourself, dude. You're just hanging out and repeating yourself. Is this funny? No. But he was, he was. <laughs> I don't get it. But he's like the new Pee Wee Herman. He's this total original. He doesn't look or sound like anyone you've ever seen before. And he's mastered it. And why am I talking so much about fucking <laughs> Pauly Shore? In Sino Man, I, it was, I had a great time with it. It's stupid. Um, it's so, so stupid. A movie that was uh, a different kind of stupid that I like literally didn't bother. I'm like, I'm not even going to read about this because I'm going to let you guys take care of it. Thanks. Uh, Rance Howard, Clint Howard, Michelle who, Johnson. Who directed this? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Cole Meany's dad? No, he's in the movie. Uh, Eileen Pollock, Cyril uh, Cusack, Barbara Babcock, uh, Robert Proxy, Thomas Gibson, and uh, the on-screen union of Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise. It's far and away. He could face any challenge, defeat any man. But there was one woman. I'll stab you through. That redhead has a bite that stings. He could never tame. Stop this. Till fate made them partners. Get him, Joseph. In a land far from home. Filmed in Panavision Super 70mm. From director Ron Howard, Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman. Far and away. Rated PG-13. And I hope the song is like to me the biggest legacy to come out of this because that I, I I think you hear the lyrics far and away in it. That became like a trailer song for the next twenty years was used in like yeah. every trailer. Yeah. That in your song, hell yeah. Is so... this the first film where Tom Cruise is 
trying to win an Oscar because I feel like this born on the fourth of July uh, period born film. Okay, born yeah, on born the on the fourth of July. But this is he's taking yes. another big swing. I mean, they're going for an epic. They're filming in seventy millimeter Panavision, yeah. the kind of mm-hmm. Lawrence of Arabia thing you want to do, and it's this big romantic epic about oh he lives in Ireland and you know <laughs> oh and the landlords are so mean and he gets in legal trouble. They're gonna hang him. And then, like, he runs away to America, and he meets up with Nicole Kidman, who's also running away to America. Uh, and, the, you know, there's travails. He does bare-knuckle boxing to earn money, and then they lose the money, and they get the money. And the whole thing is so they can go to Oklahoma for the land rush, where everyone runs around um, just stealing plots of land from Indians who are just kind of sitting there. <laughs> it's I appreciate that they acknowledge that uh, American Indians exist, but they're just kind of sitting there like, look, all these white people going to take our fucking land, huh? And yeah, uh, it's it's, it's really trying to be the epic film about Ireland, not Ireland, because it's really not doing a deep dive into Ireland. Or, like, given their socioeconomic statuses, Tom Cruise would practically be guaranteed to be Catholic and Nicole Kidman would practically guaranteed to be Protestant. And that would be a huge topic between the two of them. Mm-hmm. But it's not brought up. Not addressed, not nothing. They're both from Ireland, not Ireland. Yeah. You know, it's the Hollywood Ireland. Oh my God, his accent. He really is going for it. <laughs> I appreciate that he's really trying. Uh, I mean, she does a much, much, much better job. Like a lot of it's watchable, I guess. And yeah, the Land Rush sequence is, is a beautifully filmed action scene. You know, Ron Howard can direct action, goddammit. But yeah, overall, it's like, Oh, it really, it feels try hard Oscar bait. Yes. It's the kind of thing that like, romantically speaking, I can see 14 year old girls liking it. And that's about I it. I think Roger I, I Ebert don't... said it like it's pretty, but it does seem like the tonally for adolescents are supposed to be this audience. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. see any need for someone in 2022 to watch a 30 year old try hard Oscar bait. Exactly. <laughs> and the only reason I was curious is the 70 millimeter thing. Yeah. Oh, uh, it looks it's real gorgeous. Yeah. Amazing. And, yeah. and, and if, the cinematography is excellent, without if, a doubt. If the kids don't know what that is, Christopher Nolan uses it a lot. And, you know, I was fortunate enough living in San Francisco, they had a 70 millimeter projector. Like, it makes a huge difference. It is like doubling the resolution of your film. And it's like the first time it'd been used in 10 years. And the 4K Blu rays of the Nolan films are among the best looking transfers I've ever seen, but it doesn't compare to seeing a projection 70 millimeter it's crazy i oh yeah it'll just take in your whole field of vision i i I hate i love watching something shot correctly i bought so many fucking blu-rays of ghostbusters 4k blu-rays and it has all this dancing grain around it because it's but i've also seen the 70 millimeter print so i know it doesn't have to look like this i've seen it look i've seen the superior version of ghostbusters in a theater bugs me but far and away i think is far and away more famous for the song far and away which enya mumbles just enough you can stick it in pretty much any epic movie trailer you want and they did and the number one movie of the week um oh wait is it number one no, no, no. Lethal Weapon 3 holds on because the reviews of this movie were not great. And there is a extremely good reason. My God, do I want to watch five hours of a making of more than yes. I want to watch two hours <laughs> of what was on screen yes. for this fucking movie. Pete Postlethwaite, Paul McGann, Brian Glover, Lance Henriksen, Charles Dance, Charles S. Dutton, and Sigourney Weaver in Alien 3. 
get started. Three times the suspense. It's here. Three times the danger. Three times the terror. Sigourney Weaver. Alien 3. Starts Friday in theater. Wow. Alien Brown, the movie. This movie is the color brown, and occasionally someone yells. <laughs> I've so much to say. last week we <laughs> talked about which version of this we were going to watch, and I recognized okay. that the cancel made the decision regarding watching the original cut, but given that it's a stupid-ass decision, I've elected to ignore it. Hey. I watched the All extended right. version. The assembly hey. cut because I the director heard... wants nothing yes. to do with this movie yes. anymore. It yeah. is not the director's cut. Mm-hmm. I fully grant that it is not the director's cut. However, as I will say many times, film is not a one-person medium. Mm-hmm. Film yep. is a collaborative effort. Director plays a huge role in a film, but not the only role. Therefore, I think you can absolutely make a superior version of a film, even without the director's approval of tampering with that film and adding in more things. I think the extended version has much more to it than the original cut. It adds plot lines that go nowhere in the original. It Mm -hmm. adds depth to characters who are one note in the original. Does it make it a genuinely good film? No. Does it make it a better film? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 100%. Everything I read agrees with that because, yeah, it's a two-hour movie theatrically. It's two and a half uh, extended. So, yes, obviously you get to actually name and describe some characters because there's some like 25 characters there's supposed to be in this facility that, you know, Ripley Crash lands on. Mm Mm-hmm. We don't get to know any of them, really. I mean, even Charles S. Dutton, who's like the leader, or Charles Dance, right? Chuck D. I could not believe uh, how, like, Charles Dance. Damn. I could not. Lord Tywin is a as a romantic interest. He's a, <laughs> I, I watched Last Action Hero recently, and that's like two years later. It seems like he ages like 30 years in that time because he looks so young. I know, man. And uh, yeah, I mean, so there's, yeah, there's a lot of characters who should be interesting because they're on, you know, basically a prison planet full of religious zealots. I'm thinking some of them are going to be interesting. And no, no, in the theatrical cut, they are, there's, it's impossible to differentiate them because everybody is like a British Isles character actor who's bald and badly lit. (laughs) So they all look the same. Well, let's, let's talk about the problems of this film that begin at the very beginning of it being Aliens 3. Mm-hmm. You know, a sequel to Alien and Aliens, which was it's, Alien 2. It, so Aliens was a group film. You cared about the entire team in Aliens. And then at the start of the next film in the series, you learned that every character that you cared about separately in Aliens was dead. That survived it's, Aliens dies in yeah. the open. It's guys in the opening credits off screen. It's it's well going back even farther. So aliens came out in 1986. Yep. So it's been six years in 87. They started working on a a sequel and they had a script by William Gibson, you know, just the the father of cyberpunk that sounded kind of interesting and it is available online, but it's kind of a cold war allegory Mm -hmm. where it's like there's basically the Wayland yutani people that we've seen in space this whole time are basically space capitalists and it turns out there are space communists Mm -hmm. and and it's about 
them fighting each other trying to get the alien to use as a weapon. And the the development okay. period of okay. Alien 3 outlived the Cold War. They're like, we can't yeah. do this. <laughs> to me, yeah. the interesting thing about that undeveloped script was it was going to take place on a wooden planet. Right. And that's an idea that I think could have had super interesting visuals instead of the brown, brownie, brownest brown sounds of like, this yeah. film. Sounds like a Rick and Morty episode. Well, yeah, that they're building their own planet from scratch. Because this, this okay. film... We have a clip of it. A lot of movies, including another one we'll talk about this, you know, don't have a finalized script before they begin development. Yeah, this, that's the yeah. biggest this, fucking problem. This film, they, were, did, they were building sets. They were throwing money at it. They the, had to film, move. This Writing film, scripts as they were filming. Like yeah. you would start filming one thing and then you'd find out, no, we're going in a completely different direction. But which be, is beyond stupid. that, this film didn't have a premise. Before it's it's before it had not only had a release date before it was greenlit, they released a trailer for Alien Three. I think two years before the movie comes out, and they have no idea what it's going to be. In 1992, we will discover on Earth, everyone can hear you scream. And see, that's the killer line. They were promising their audience that the aliens would come to Earth, mm -hmm. which we've seen them, you know, on a ship. We've seen them in a mining colony. But to the audience, oh, my gosh, we're going to see basically a zombie film except with the xenomorphs. Yeah. You know, just imagine the aliens just swarming all over these futuristic cities on Earth. Now you get a, another mining thing, and it's got a few more plasma drips, but it's still just... A they, three enclosed little location. Three times the action. Like you do nope. not have three times the aliens in this movie. You do not. Nope. And, you and, got one. And and <laughs> let, let me my my perspective. Again, I, my perspective is not interesting. I'm just trying to tell you where I'm coming from. I didn't see these movies growing up. I wasn't allowed to watch rated R movies. The first aliens out before I'm born. I watched them out of order and kind of in a row. And I think the worst one at the time was Alien Resurrection. I don't hate this film and I didn't hate it at all because I didn't have the same expectations. And my theory here is this isn't so much in defense of Alien 3 because I think it's a, a given what is happening. Like they had spent seven million dollars of 1992 money before a camera showed up. They were they were way in over their head, and D David Fincher was fucked around. It's a testament to how good he is as a director that this is in any way watchable because movies that are produced like this tend to be like completely throwaway. Well, I think part of the problem is is that yeah, David that this is David Fincher's debut, and then we debut. have now thirty years of every other David Fincher mm -hmm. movie is so much better than this, and. Yeah, there's a the thought of like this could have been it for him. He could have just yeah. been blamed for yeah. everything. And it's it's interesting the, the he, negative he, he's impact. He's going to take a couple of years, and then he gives a seven, and we can see what this guy can actually do. Yeah, apparently Sigourney Weaver herself went to bat. Like this young kid was fucked over so hard during this production because Sigourney Weaver didn't love playing this character at this point. Paid a lot of money to do no. it, but sort of like it was a paycheck for her. Yeah, she she had tremendous clout. She was very adamant. I am not going to do this unless I have a large degree of creative control. And one of the things she insisted upon was no guns in the alien film because she's a very anti-gun person. Which and is really interesting. Though. It could be interesting. I don't think they pull it off. No. Not after the balls to the walls, uh, space marines and, that's, and aliens. That's what you I want. If you're 
that's if you're going off your memories of aliens of these some of the best sci-fi gunfights of all times are in aliens and then you come to this with no guns you're going to be let down that's, especially in 1990 that's what i want to get to my thesis statement on the the entirety of the alien debacle i go back and forth which alien movie i think is the best because alien one and two are amazing alien one directed by ridley scott is a like awesome sci-fi horror movie and then two, directed by James Cameron, is this behind enemy lines fucking action assault. In a- so Aliens, the second movie, breaks Aliens. Yes. The, the next script was more action-oriented, but, but in, from a studio perspective, all that can be is more expensive. But, a- but this is the most expensive Alien Technically. film uh, of the time, which was very odd because Alien and Aliens were not high-budget films. No. But they decided to ramp up the budget for this film. You know, we we are at the cusp of CGI here. So almost everything you're seeing is, is practical amazing. and huge giant sets. Oh, I meant to send you the did you there's a video. I it didn't make the it didn't even make the movie. David Fincher wanted to dress up a dog in, in xenomorph oh, style. Yeah. And you can see it online. It looks yeah. Adorable. It never would have worked on camera. It, oh, who's a good pupper xenomorph? Who was a good xenomorph? Yeah, it, it, it's yeah. it's bucking the CG trend and going for pure puppetry. It rule. So that aspect of it rules. There's plenty to love about Alien Three, but I still yeah. think if yeah. if you're if what you want from an Alien movie comes from Aliens, the second Alien, you're always going to be disappointed because all it can be is more action. Yeah. But if well, they would have followed the teaser promise and brought the aliens Earth mm-hmm. and had it be an extinction-level event where these aliens are spreading like zombies from person to person, chest bursts all over the place, I think you could ump- I agree. up the action enough in that. I agree, and I think yeah. the, uh, that's what but the— I also think it would cost twice as much it, as it this. It costs twice as much, and then where do you go from there? This is a franchise that, if you think about it, has typically involved one alien. In yeah. Aliens is the sole exception to that, but I think because of how revered it is and how how much it's got screened on cable and home video, it's what people want from an alien movie. Even though that's not technically, you could argue that that's yeah. not technically what yeah. it is. Yeah, it, that's it, a good point. I mean, that is one thing. Like this could have been a good reset of yeah, because it's just kind of like the first one in that you're in a scary environment. And props to the production design of how many things look like they could be the alien hiding in yeah. this set. It's just the whole thing looks it's, like it's made out of aliens. It's it's and, defensible and beautiful to look it's, upon. It's pretty impressive. Then the problem is though that when actual action starts, we have a bunch of corridors that look the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't do much to distinguish it. But what I was going to say about David Fincher, the extra thing that screwed him over is he knew that the producers were going to take this movie away from him mm-hmm. and that things are going to change. And he intentionally was doing long takes and long pans and long shots to make it harder. If they took it away, they wouldn't be able to cut things. They did it anyway. And that's why there's a couple sequences where you're not sure what the fuck is happening. Yeah. And, and, and he I, has washed his hands of this. Yeah. He doesn't I, I want to speak of it. He's never been on any commentary track. And when he hints at it, it's, he you uses code. Hear that thirty <laughs> years later, there's still pain in his voice. Yes. Oh, yeah, it, I I don't blame him because there's. I mean, we've seen he's a guy who can do dread incredibly yeah. well. That's his bread and butter, baby. You and just saw Panic Room, which here. Panic Room is like how Alien, like, is yeah. basically Alien. And and if I plus, I didn't learn. The, the subtext, though, of mm-hmm. that she is the only woman on a planet so full of men. That's what people forget. It's explored more Sorry. in the extended. I'm, I'm sure it's, the, it's a planet full of men who are also 
violent men and the idea that she has to be on guard all the time and not know who's going to snap that's kind of a metaphor for society yes yes and and i think because to me i'm not saying you can't make a movie like aliens just i i love how perfect alien is as a horror movie and i'm going to quote some classes and some scholarly text i've written but at its core alien is kind of a movie about a monster who rapes men and can impregnate them yes that's yep and yep. Aliens, you know, doesn't really focus on that that much. That's what should be scary about a xenomorph, where setting this on a prison colony of all men and a single woman with an undercurrent of phallic gynecological imagery and, and monstrous rape could have been more interesting. <laughs> but, like, yeah. I was shocked to learn that the shot of the xenomorph in Ripley's face, the studio said no to even that, and Fincher had to sneak that in. That is one of the most iconic shots of the 90s and And there was talk they were going to have a alien who was going to kiss humans Mm -hmm. and stick its tongue down inside of them and pull their guts and gizzards out through their mouth you know if you really wanted more of the yeah this is the first time we see a xenomorph eating people usually yeah they grab them they drag them off to to get impregnated and this one is just chowing down but when i when i saw this as a think a teenager for the first time like I didn't have that many problems with I thought it was really fun to fun to watch. See, I, I watched it in theaters with my dad oh. who had loved aliens mm. and I hadn't seen Alien or Aliens at the time. Oh. So this was my first exposure to the franchise and it killed it for me. I didn't watch those classics for another decade just yeah. because I was like, no, I, I didn't like Aliens 3 that much. So, nah. So I'm a little kid. I couldn't even see this movie, but like the marketing blitz was all over everything else I liked. Comics and video games. And oh, the yeah. logo was out there for fucking years. So We're going to talk about a lot of Alien 3 video games in the coming months. Oh, yeah. balls. Mm-hmm. None of which yeah. are any good either. And then we got another two weeks and we talk about Another alien movie. And and that's what I, I don't... It's also very much up for debate. <laughs> is this good? I think Alien Resurrection is much worse, and Prometheus is utterly laughable in so, so many ways. I've only seen the first three alien films. I've mm-hmm. never seen any of the ones after that because everyone's told me I don't have to. I think it's... it's, it's you don't have to. It's that retrospect but... thing where like... Except now I do because it's my job. Do you ever hear <laughs> Do you ever hear anybody trash The Return of the Jedi now? Even though at the time like, yeah, it wasn't as good as the other ones. I think Alien mm-hmm. 3 has been sort of like thrown into that. Well, at least it's not all the other, <laughs> the other half of the okay. alien movies. Yeah, I can see that happening. And, yeah. and I, I agree. I think Pro- Prometheus is... <laughs> well directed and fun but it is so dumb it is so dumb oh, to have taken so long for the show, baby. Okay. Yeah. okay okay we'll get there uh, the final, i'm not going to run through all the changes between the extended and the original cut because mm-hmm. you can find plenty of youtube's videos but i do want to throw out one at the end of the extended cut the alien does not jump out of ripley's stomach this yeah. is an excellent call you know because in the original cut where it does pop out of her stomach her sacrifice is therefore made meaningless meaningless. by jumping into the molten metal she dies one second earlier or not at all because she's got a alien jumping out of her stomach but by not having the alien jump out it deepens her sacrifice mm-hmm. than showing that no, she's dying at the moment she's sacrificing himself. And herself. makes makes sense really of, a for the, the setup of alien resurrection. 
Yep. And and, oh, and, and uh, I believe Sigourney Weaver was adamant that her character die in yeah. the film. She pulled a she was like, I am going to be done with this series. I will take your paycheck, but my character must die so I never have to be in a, another one of these films. I guess I love how the, oh, I want to stop talking about this so bad. But we talk about Ripley as a very early feminist archetype in in mainstream science fiction films because there really aren't any other fucking examples. Yeah. Barbarella. Like, <laughs> so I do think if that's what you believe, the first three aliens are a really important part of that arc because the first one, she is a damsel. It, it, she is shapen into what we think of Ribley as a feminist hero with the next two films. Yeah. And, and I always do oh. have to point out that the original alien was casted gender neutral. Mm-hmm. All the roles were open to every gender and they just cast whoever felt like yeah. the best actor for the role, regardless of gender. Damsel is the wrong word because that implies someone else rescues her. It's true. She's true. Just an average schmo. Yeah. She's yeah. just one of the guys. And she ends up having to step up in ridiculous ways. But she's the most like, she's the most feminized. And like, you know, she has some cheesecakey shots and underwear and stuff. Like, not unlike your typical Jason movie. Yeah. In the That's first a good film. Question. It's, it, who is the girliest person on board the Nostromo? Yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel like Veronica Cartwright might win that because her screaming when the chest burster comes. Everyone else is like, oh fuck, and she's like, Ian Holm. Uh but, but Yeah, Ian Holm. It's him. Yeah. I, I think Alien 3 deserves a little bit of redemption and is I think it's still fun to watch and it's a fascinating film, both cuts. So yeah. don't forget about it. Don't shit on it. I, I feel like my feeling of all of the eh alien movies is there's good stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. And they end up sort of being watchable. I watchworthy. I would say watch the two and a half hour cut mm-hmm. if you're gonna watch anything, because you might as well not feel frustrated with the movie of just like, well, who are these guys? What are they? Oh, they're gone. Who, so who cares? It, it adds 40 extra minutes, but I, I watched the theatrical cut because I, I haven't seen the assembly cut in a long time, but it's on every disc, even the one that cur- that recently came out. So it, it's been remastered, blah, 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 blah. Alien 3, JR's recommend of the week. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, television of 1992, May 20th through the 26th. The death of the 80s continues, and this is just one of those slumber party moments I remember exactly. Oh, these these guys like to watch live action stuff at night and not rent fucking Disney movies. <laughs> and uh, Okay, well, oh, MacGyver. I've never seen MacGyver. This is the only episode of MacGyver I've ever seen. The, the last, the final episode of MacGyver. As... He travels to the Himalayas? Sure. I yeah. don't remember it. <laughs> they don't wrap up the awesome MacGyver arc because this is the 1980s and they don't do such things in the 1980s. Just a fairly standard episode of MacGyver and they left the door wide open for future TV movies, which are going to be rolling down the street. Well, I think, and this is this is not interesting, but back in the day when you know we established a non-monopoly agreement between the film studios and television, you'd have these film companies making content for channels they don't own. And uh, Universal, I believe, owns MacGyver, and it's airing on NBC. So Universal wants the show to keep going, but NBC doesn't get anything out of the show mm-hmm. if it goes into syndication. So they don't really give a shit about giving it a firm finale because they don't own the franchise. Cut. So maybe this is the lesson. Cut to years of corporate consolidation later. Now they do. <laughs> now they do own both. They own it, and uh, all they gave us is MacGruber on Peacock. Um, I do, I do find it. Try to restart MacGyver like last year. It was a couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah. And then, then I just, I always like MacGyver because it's like a detective show MacGyver. where he 
it's a detective show where he pulls some Mr. Wizard shit out to mm-hmm. solve every problem. So it's like it's like Magnum PI for nerds. Yeah, it's sure. It, it uh, it's Sherlock Holmes with a mullet. <laughs> I mean, MacGyver became a verb. I yeah. mean, how often do TV shows become a verb? Yeah, you MacGyver something. Yeah, right? you know what I mean. And um, man, uh, it's seven seasons, man. That's that's, yeah, it's a, long run. That, that, that's a good run. Yeah, uh, and I know it's been a long show so far, but we got to talk about this because we will not have the opportunity to talk about a show ending after a 30 year run. That is a dynasty that like only the Simpsons and maybe always sunny in Philadelphia will reach, but are they going to reach 6,000 episodes though? Oh, they are. Yes. But this week is it for the tonight show. It is over. So there's really with Johnny Carson. Sorry. With Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson. There's really two final episodes of the tonight show with Johnny Carson. There's one episode uh, with Robin Williams and Bette Midler as his only guest. And that's the last true tonight show show with a true tonight show format with Johnny Carson. Mm -hmm. And then his final, final episode is a clip show. It's just him talking with the audience showing 30 years that he's been on it, which is, I see what you're saying, but I love talk show clip shows because holy shit if you grew up watching talk shows oh, that real wasn't t- a critique i think it's a i actually rewatched johnny's clip show episode mm-hmm. and it's great yeah it holds up do you if you remember sitting through talk shows because they were fucking boring an hour long trying to kill time bad bits boring guests holy shit give me a clip show it's like the only way i'll even watch um you know when johnny was retiring it was such huge news and little jr was really becoming super pop culture conscious at this time reading uh, entertainment weekly and whatever and i remember watching his entire last week because it's oh this great moment in pop cultural history and i'm thinking that they should release johnny's final week on vhs tapes they haven't but looking at it on youtube what few people have chosen to go back and watch them just really makes me realize how ephemeral even a good talk show is it's not meant to last it's not meant to be revisited it is totally of the moment and only meant to exist in the moment Carson generally every night would pull seven to nine million people. Right now, the top rated show is Colbert, and he pulls maybe a third of that. Yeah, I I thought I read that Conan O'Brien's talk show, it really went out with a whimper, and it was like it's on basic cable and it's averaging like somewhere like the 200, 400,000 people a night. And like like his podcast was getting more attention than his talk show. I mean, I'm the reason for that. I loved Conan, I'm a huge Conan fan. I cheered him to take over The Tonight Show, and then I never watched The Tonight Show when he was on it, and then I never watched any of his other talk shows. Mm. Yep. Uh, right. I mean, I watch YouTube clips in the Carson. morning. But yes, Carson. 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 So, I... so like I was saying, about 9 million people, up to 9 million people every week, this one pulls uh, something closer to 90. Two-thirds of all televisions wow. that were on at 11.35 yeah. went to Carson this night. Wow. Yeah. Because it's his last show. Because it was impossible throughout the 30 years, you didn't have some context of who he was or he yeah. wasn't you some. See what's, you see what's going to happen. And it's yeah. great that he brings on Robin Williams, who's always the best guest. Mm-hmm. And then Bette Midler sings and makes him cry. Yeah. That and you really say, and you know, you, you know that reference because you're a Simpsons fan. That's yeah. true. That is what that is referencing. And I just, I had the, I had the thought, it occurred to me in my lifetime, no host has willingly left, <laughs> willingly <laughs> left the Tonight Show. It's so it must be the greatest job in the world. 
I would. Uh, didn't Jay Leno willingly leave it to no. be replaced by Conan? No, no, he didn't. He didn't want to do that at all. He didn't. He didn't want to do that. No, he, he, but like he didn't want to do that at all. It was in Conan's contract. He was forced. They had to give Conan the show, and he said on him, eh, five years it's yours, Conan, take it." He, but no, he wanted that show and clung to it and went back <laughs> to it until it was again taken away from him. And now I'm just looking at Jimmy Fallon, like, "Oh, in the social media age, please get dragged kicking and screaming out of the building." That is not an anti-Fallon thing. I just, yeah, in my lifetime, no one has willingly left the Tonight Show. Jay Leno has been basically fired, pushed out twice. And it should be pointed out, I think Carson did not want to leave. No, he didn't. He got pushed out. He he, and- he does 29 and a half years of the Tonight Show. You couldn't wait for the 30? He's an older guy. He would go on long breaks where mm-hmm. Leno would be in charge for like a month at a time. That's true. And no talk show host since then has done that mm-hmm. because they know that if they leave and take breaks, what they're really doing is training the guy who will get them fired mm-hmm. yep. and i love how like cavalier jimmy kimmel is with guest hosts he's like fuck it i'm, I'm he, he, last year i think he's like i'm taking the whole summer off but the show will be on the air because he just doesn't give a shit <laughs> even though half his family's employed there which what we let's play one of these clips i, I just got a, a quick I clip think johnny saying goodbye is the sweet clip it's I, I know johnny carson had his issues with alcohol and hitting wives uh all like 19 of them but it, yeah. i think when describe him it's classy and he does a really classy goodbye last month is what's it like doing the tonight show and what has it meant to me well let me try to explain it if i could magically somehow that tape you just saw make it run backwards i'd like to do the whole thing all over again it has been it has been it has been a just a hell of a lot of fun um as an entertainer, it's been the great experience in my life, and I cannot imagine finding something after I leave tonight in television that would give me as much joy and pleasure and a sense of exhilaration as this show has given me. It's just very hard to explain. Oh. I mean, that is classy. That yeah. is like... My favorite contribution that Carson gave talk shows, I still find it incredible. There had been Tonight Shows before Johnny Carson. There had been talk shows before Johnny Carson. Dozens of them. Every time you tune into a talk show... And there is like an eight-piece trumpet section playing you in. Johnny Carson brought that tonight show. He's like, because I just thought it'd be fun to have the music that I like, uh, bring in, like bring an atmosphere. We still have that to this day because an old man like jazz, and and the talk show format is still that. And that's why I think it seems so old and uh, and state because yeah. Anyway, you want to hear who his first guests were in? Oh please, yes, yes. 50% of them are still with us, knock on wood. What? Wow. Yeah. His first guests were Rudy Valley, who is a singer popular in the 20s. Wow. Joan Crawford, <laughs> Tony Bennett, and Mel Brooks. I can't That's- believe how lucky we are to have the last two. <laughs> yeah. And he was president. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just the final thing I want to say on uh, Johnny leaving is... Uh, Jerry Seinfeld had a great quote in the book about the late night wars. And, and it was, you know, when I was a comedian, everyone always talked, who would replace Johnny Carson? And the truth is, no one replaced Johnny Carson. Mm-hmm. Because once he left, the late night talk show landscape got so fractured that no one could have the impact nope. that Johnny Carson had night after night after night. It's impossible. Yeah. Even though the only reason we have Seinfeld is because he was supposed to replace Johnny Carson. It's true. The first four episodes of Seinfeld's budget, I think, were Tonight Show budget to keep Jerry locked into NBC. 
And then uh, guess what? It, it, is it the, maybe the next Monday or Friday? Probably the next Monday, given how we uh, Jay Leno becomes the permanent host of the Tonight Show, and uh, this speaks to our podcast. Let, let's see how you all feel in thirty years. <laughs> Not good. Because so how do we feel at the time? Thirty. <laughs> Years. Uh, so, yeah, this was aired on May 22nd, a Friday. So uh, Johnny Carson had his goodbye week, ended on a Thursday, and then the next day, a Friday, Jay Leno took over as host. Wow. Wow. I think they were just they're carrying the momentum. They're like, yeah. people might not come not come back on Monday. I think it's also Johnny Carson took off a lot of varieties. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we only have Saturday Night Live because he wanted to work less. Man, the same week... Oh, we're going so long, but oh my God, we need it's, to talk about so yeah. much. Yeah. I, these, this is, I've never seen a torch pass. Yes, this last two thing is like the, the passing of a torch, the, the beginning and end of an era. This week on MTV, we have the debut of... This is the true story. True story. Of seven strangers <laughs> picked to live in a loft and have their lives taped to find out what happens <laughs> what? when people stop being polite. Could you get the phone? And start getting real. The real world. Okay, where the characters, uh, the reality stars, explain the premise of the show you're watching has been copied in like yeah. 85% of all reality TV shows since then. And if you just replace like New York with an island, you pretty much have the premise of Survivor right here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's it's the beginning of the modern reality show. And yeah. I think outside of a game aspect or a celebrity, you don't see a ton of shit like the real world anymore. But it did seem revolutionary. And yeah. and, and, I, and you have to be able to understand why. One, I believe MTV wanted some of that sweet 90210 money. That is exactly it. And that did not work for them. They well, uh, tried yeah. their own 90210 thefts and it was too hard. And, and then they eventually just went, what if we didn't have stars? What if we didn't have to pay residuals to anyone ever? <laughs> we just What if we don't have scripts? We just have producers tell people what to do. No writers. And I think this is more real than today's reality It is. Oh, by far. By it... far. Well, it was so weird going back because... I watched this when it first happened, oh, yeah. and then by the next season, I was already like, this is just people trying to get attention from themselves. And that's exactly where all reality shows go, is just people mm -hmm. just want to be on a reality show to be famous for the sake of being famous. Mm -hmm. And obviously, the real world in particular, people realized immediately, the worse you behave, the more attention you get. Right, um, but no one became a star. What no about Eric, Eric Nyes, baby? Eric, yeah, Eric Nyes, host of The Grind. I mean, I, I looked into it. Right. Everyone's career was helped because, like, most of these people wanted to be in the music business or yeah, writing. They all got a boost. That, that I forgot about that I think is one of the reasons that this first season, even though it's so boring compared to so much other reality television, is kind of compelling is that they all are creative people with creative career yeah. goals mm -hmm. as opposed to just being – hottest girl at ASU. <laughs> I'm not here to make friends. I, I recall a critique from like 1992 saying, oh, yeah, why is everyone here wanting to be in the arts? If you're going for the real world, why don't you have, you know, a retail worker, a plumber, a carpenter, or uh, an office worker? You know, everyone here is on a path to the arts. So is that really the real world? Now, obviously we know now 
you're not trying to show the real world. The right. real world's boring. You look out yeah. your door. It's set in New York. Why shouldn't they be pursuing something? They could pursue any career yeah. they wanted. I mean, it gives them plots that they could have. They can have auditions. They can be recording something. And they that, can be creating something as opposed to being the hottest girl at ASU. And that's the... I, I saw the real world too first and then went back to this. And I regret how many hundreds of hours I spent watching reruns of the fucking real world. So <laughs> sort of because it is it is the closest to nothing reality show can get. And the first season is like non dramatic mm-hmm. and I think that's it is premise was flawed because like here's what a bunch of twenty somethings are doing trying to make their way in the world. And it was just let's see how this works. And this is meandering. And then you see slowly as the weird real world goes on, like a fucking mad scientist experiment, they start taking away their telephones. They start t- in the second season. Remember there's that John doesn't, this hick from Texas doesn't want to do anything in Venice other than watch TV. They took their televisions away. They took their phones away. They took the internet away. Slowly they start introducing, well, here's all the free booze you want. Or like, <laughs> yeah. and, and then they get, start giving them objectives. This season has none of that. They aren't asking them to do anything. Well, they were inspired by the Seven Up series, the British television show, which just records people. Every seven years. uh, Some public access television show from like the 1970s that I can't Uh remember. Right, on PBS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They didn't have the crazy model that we have now, but you can definitely see them inching towards that year by year. And for me personally, the best contribution the real world ever made to the wider culture is the SNL skit where Bob Dole. Dole goes on the real world. The funniest skits from 1996. Make... Every one of those cracks me up. Chappelle yeah. shows a good real world sketch too. It, it, it might not make sense, but here's the thing. Here's the biggest contribution. Other than like this changed television basic cable didn't have the money or the viewers to compete with the budgets of the network shows they even found it hard to make scripted shows when i was a really little kid all basic cable was was reruns of foreign country content and talk show reality show type things they couldn't afford this changed everything and reality shows started bleeding out into everything but what i think it's real fun lasting impact and i can't prove this so somebody help me out here the confessional Yes. It it wasn't because the, I don't think the PBS show had that, Mm -hmm. but they, they had, I think that 30 whole cameras. Can can you believe the cost of 30 (laughs) analog cameras? Before digital. Right. Okay. You're filming. That's expensive. Yeah. These people had to be like mic'd and everything. It wasn't easy. It's, It's why like, Albert Books made a movie ab- about this concept years ago, but no one wanted to bring this concept to reality, even though people kind of wanted to see it. Uh, but the confessional, they'd also have them get in a room and reflect on uh, what happened every week. That is literally the hook of The Office and Parks and Rec. <laughs> that was yeah. created by the real world. I, I'm sh- okay. There, see, there. I, I imagine there was probably a reality format that did that first, but what would it have been? Walter Cronkite. Oh, that time I announced it. Like, what would it have been? Like, yeah, I mean, you need it from a narrative point of view because it it becomes a narration. Yeah. to cover things that you didn't film. The the and one it, the one person I knew on the real world was the was the sober one in Austin, and mm-hmm. she just ended up becoming the like full time narrator for that season because everybody was so fucking hammered. <laughs> did either of you want to be on the real world? Yes. No. Yes, I did. Uh, but but I, I think I probably just wanted to be on TV and get attention in any way. And I, that reminds me, I was reading the reviews of this, and the reviews are all by, I would guess, 
not the target demographic for the real world. And this is like, this is appalling, disgusting. These, these uh, desperate for attention people who would watch this banal horseshit. And it's just like the same way people talk about streaming now. There'll always be kids without access to like anything <laughs> with free time who want to see something aspirational with their peers or people slightly older. And I, I latched onto that big time with the real world. As much as I will make fun of it now, I just, I can't imagine watching it now. Can you? Oh my God. No. And it's still on, I think? Uh, I believe there are 33 seasons. Yeah. Plus road rules. And plus real, the challenge. Road rules, road rules <laughs> challenge. Plus the challenge. I was surprised to find out that it was last year. Mm-hmm. Paramount Plus had a reunion yes. show. During the, COVID. Good for you. During COVID. <laughs> and I think Eric tested positive and so he just live streamed he zoomed in (laughs) six so what's the premise then six non-strangers who aren't forced to live in a house a bunch of 50 year olds yeah (laughs) like kids and lives and shit yeah and i I, but this is such a new concept blah 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 i it kind of took the world by storm because there wasn't really a lot of ways to see i think it was the most real version of youngish 20 somethings that was available. There was always yep. a sanitized version or whatever, it, whatever was being narratively done on networks. But this, this seemed a little real. People hooked up, people got drunk, people got in fights. Well, the first season seemed to be more the issues of the youngsters today yeah. because race and sexuality. Do you remember up. the big controversy? Yeah. She, uh, what's her name? I, I don't remember all these people's names. So let me yeah. just apologize. The white girl said to the black girl, because she had a pager, why do you have a pager? Do you sell drugs? And she's like, what the fuck? What, well, why would Yeah, they were going for a really diverse cast because they wanted everyone in their MTV audience to have someone to relate to. Yeah, but that was, that was the big controversy. That was the big fight on that real world. That is like, <laughs> that is its crescendo. Why would she say, do you think all black people sell drugs? And they have that conversation and it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was the most dramatic. The next couple seasons... Oh man, David and Puck getting booted. Oh boy, how can you not love it? No, never mind. Jesus. Anybody else got anything in the real world? Let's move on to video games of 1992. This is fortuitous. This never happens. You will hear about this on two laser time shows this week because Wacky Races is out on NES. And that is for some reason being talked about this week on, on Video Game Apocalypse. Okay. Uh, Wacky Races dates from 1968. Yep. <laughs> there were only 17 episodes of it ever filmed. Mm-hmm. And yet I watched a F ton of that growing up well, in the 80s. You you are I remember it as being this huge thing. They took and, they, like I hate to be this person. Hanna-Barbera ripped itself off so many times. The character of Muttley and other racing pit stop Penelope. That's a, that's a different show with the exact same animation and uh, laugh. There's a, there's a racing show with like the Yogi bear and Scooby-Doo and they look in exactly the same. They follow the same plot lines and the boilerplate animation. So Hanna-Barbera revisited this format a lot. What I think is that this kept coming back because it was a merchandising sensation because you well, know, boys love what cars. Kid wouldn't want to right. race against their cartoon. I was in, in which this video game fails to give. <laughs> this is not a racing game. How do you mess that up? I believe Michael what? Michael sent me a short thing. He's like, "Wow, second level and Muttley is also already fighting ghosts and phantoms instead of racing anything." <laughs> It gets full yeah, weirdo Japanese. Yeah. It's, a, it's yeah. a really good platformer. I had fun with it, but it's a huge missed opportunity. Yeah. 
I mean, but like what? that wasn't the platform for racing games at the time. And no, it wasn't. And, uh, but I would have saved it for the Super Nintendo, which you know is, it, 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 is I, out at this moment. I'm a big fan of cartoons and racing games. It wasn't until Mario Kart had the brilliant idea and like, what if the cars had no roofs? You could see the characters. <laughs> and that changed the, but see the, i think in wacky races you could see the characters some I of them yes their 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 cars most would of them were convertibles fit. there is some timeline out there where wacky races is the mario kart where yeah. they made a good adaptation and like that's it's, the game everyone the, plays the dreamcast game drunk and race. the dreamcast game released 10 years after this has been re-released on modern consoles several times it has a because weird... people want to play wacky, wacky racing games. They want to race in the wacky race instead of jumping over things. And I was in Walmart two days ago, and I feel like I say this a lot on these podcasts. The toy section proper has been taken over by millennial remakes. It's just like there's almost half kids' toys and then half like retro He-Man and real Ghostbusters. <laughs> and, uh... You're old and want to relive the yeah. time when you weren't old, right? And And... Right next to it was a retro, old-style, wacky racers model set yesterday. Fucking yesterday. That would appeal to me. I got to right. say, I'd prob- I don't think I'd buy it, but I'd like look at it and think, yeah. Moving on. <laughs> Stanley, the search for Dr. Livingston is out on NES, and then I think... So, I don't know about you, but around my playground, we could not get enough talking about Scottish missionaries from the 1870s who were obsessed with getting famous by finding the source of the Nile so that they could use that fame to give them the influence to end the East African Swahili slave trade. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. That's what you make a game out of. There's a whole episode of the real world about that. We're going to talk about this on Video Game Apocalypse, but like back then, at least in America, video games were so marketed to children and so foreign to adults. It was in their best interest to license things that adults have heard of in order to give to their kids. Think about that model now and what you might give to your kids. Like you want them to experience things that you recognize. That's part of it. But even boomers back then recognize <laughs> Dr. Livingston, I, I presume. Know, I know. know it had something to do with Africa and have no idea what the rest of the story is. Yep, I'm the same way. Heart of Darkness something? Okay. And then I think uh, one of the most underrated NES games of all time, Darkwing Duck, is out. I played it for the first time this week and I was blown away. It's fantastic. I loved all the Capcom games growing up. You know, I past DuckTales on the highest difficulty. I uh, loved Rescue Rangers uh, with my friend. I don't know why I ever missed it, but it, I'm going to give out... a 30-year-old me a kick in the ass because this is a solid, solid yep. game. It is fun to play in 2022, and that is rare for NES games that I have zero nostalgia it's a mu- It's a much kinder Mega Man with more things you can do with your gun, which Disney was pretty adamant can't, you know, can't shoot much, but like it could grapple right. and throw smoke and and uh, and the the bosses are beautiful. Capcom did a great job of the Disney Afternoon stuff, and I think this fell by the wayside because this is being released very late in the NES cycle. The Super Nintendo See, is out. What would you put your money into? That's the thing. I may have sold my NES by this point, yeah. and that may be why I did. didn't play it because I can't remember when I sent sell, sold it, but I definitely sold it to buy some Super Nintendo games. You know. And you can find this in the Disney Afternoon Collection um, on Steam and whatnot. Get that before the license expires. I worked very briefly on some stuff with that, and I love it. I love it unrepentantly. Music of 1992, May 20th through the 26th. 
Jump by Criss Cross is still number one, but we also have new releases such as the self-titled album by T-Ride, uh, Lasered Guided Melodies, the debut of Spiritualized, Ping, the debut of Sp- Stereo Lab, Time Takes Time by Ringo Starr, Dark Sneak Love Action by the Tom Tom Club, and Kiko by Los Lobos. But we got to get into a little band that nobody liked that's debuting on the charts this week, and that's Red Hot Chili Peppers' Breaking the Girl. Big hit off of a little album that would have kind of the most hits of any album I had during that era. I think it might technically be the third because Give It Away and Under the Bridge both oh, are also singles, but everyone's heard those. Yeah. And Breaking the Girl is less, it, it charts very well. It's less popular, but it's fucking rad. Yeah. And I I think it might be the only rock song I can think of that I think that's the flute sitting on a Mellotron that I'm hearing. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's a neat song. I like it. Well, let us find out as we go into break, but stay right there, people. 2002 is coming up next. Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash 302010. You waited as long to stop debating Cause I'm back, I'm on the rag and ovulating I know that you got a job, Miss Cheney But your husband's heart problem's complicating So the FCC won't let me be Or let me be me, so let me see They try to shut me down on MTV But it feels so empty without me, so it's definitely not the 90s anymore because that is Eminem without me. Coming in off of the Eminem show this week. Uh, huge, huge. Is that a second album? I forget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah, one of those guys where it's like, well, he made a big splash. Can, can he keep doing it? Yeah. You're yeah, right. Keep doing it. I don't know, guys. I think this Eminem fellow might have some legs on him. I forgot. It's like I say this all the time with The Simpsons. It took like. 12 years where every mainstream news article wouldn't write about the Flintstones in every article about the Simpsons and Eminem could not be mentioned without like a sneering aside to Vanilla Ice and how this guy's gonna go away too and I just forget that now but it was like a year and a no, half that was so, a thing yeah that was definitely a thing for a long time yeah I mean, Vanilla Ice was big for like a year and a half yeah. before he became a joke Eminem was getting that label for at least half a decade maybe a full decade yeah and now it just it doesn't even occur to me anymore and I never see it written about. Welcome to 2002. 
uh, May 20th through the 26th. How about some other new albums released uh, release this week? Lag Destination by Ronan Keating. Hello. It's aw- I don't know anything about that album. Alive and Just Breathing by Kill Switch Engage. Holly Weird by Poison. <laughs> Poison. Uh, I Lucifer by Danzig. Kill the Dragon by Dio. Uh, Legacy, Hymns, and Faith by Amy Grant. And the self-titled debut of Little Big Town. Uh, and Mended by Mark Anthony. Uh, Eurovision Song Contest uh, this week also features Latvia's first ever win with uh, Mary Ann's I Wanna. Go for Latvia. I wanna be the light from shooting stars. I wanna be the I wanna be the last You know, I always say my favorite subgenre is Latvian salsa music. And <laughs> you just don't, don't get to hear enough of it. Oh, what? It's fine. It is so weird looking at these older Eurovision winners and being like, yeah, the best of them is like, that's fine. <laughs> and then like this year, there were, I don't know, maybe half a dozen. I was like, that's actually a pretty good song. I would listen to that. Didn't the winner have the word pussy in the song? I thought it was fucking nuts. No, they were eliminated. That might have been Latvia too, actually. Uh, and again, <laughs> Diane is the person who turned me on to the Eurovision song. And did you say you like, picked up on that your, your time studying in europe yeah because i was i had never heard of it till i was an exchange student in the uk and then found out like oh this is a thing i'm sorry this is big gay spectacle every year yeah i i am interested yes it is it big gay a weird sociological event because it happened in the aftermath of world war ii you had all these wow. european countries who had just slaughtered each other on a massive level, the women, the children, the soldiers, bombing cities, massive death. And then they went, hey, you guys want to sing it out? <laughs> Show me what you got. <laughs> so I got, man, if I, I'll put that really low on the I Can't Sleep Boredom list. Fucking earliest Eurovision Song Contest entries. I got to hear what those sound like. I mean, there's I'm some curious. that you recognize. Uh, Volare, I think, came in third. What? But like everyone knows that song. Sure. Wow. Yeah. What what year did Yaya Ding Dong win? I know. Fucking Iceland showed up and they sang the most boring song this year. And I was like, that's not Yaya Ding Dong. Screw you, Iceland. <laughs> did anyone in the audience shout, shout <laughs> Yaya Ding Dong? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should no. not go to the Eurovision contest because anytime Iceland appears, I will I will demand they play Yaya Ding Dong again. Yeah. But uh no, this year Ukraine won. Yeah, um, both Big for shock. having Big yeah, shock. Both, both for sympathy vote, and it was a pretty good song. But that means they have to host next time, which I hope. They're oh my god! <laughs> wow, I did not consider that, but yeah. you're right. Yeah, I didn't even know. Yeah, that. you might have just cursed them, Eurovision. <laughs> also, look up Norway's about giving a wolf a banana. I've had that song in my head for three days. And that uh, song was amazing. Moving, on, moving on into. 2002. Well, fucking Foolish by Ashanti is still number one. Foolish by Ashanti still number one. Uh, the news of uh, 2002 to let you know what's going on throughout the world. Maybe give you a sense of where you were, what you were looking. And I, I don't think I was paying attention to the news until I was in my 30s. Uh, the independence of uh, East Timor is recognized by Portugal, formally ending 23 years of Indonesian rule and three years of provisional UN administration. Yeah, so Portugal left East Timor in 1975. East Timor declared its independence. Nine days afterwards, Indonesia invaded and Sukarto imposed his own colonial rule over the country. Uh, 200,000 people would die over the next two decades, hundreds of thousands displaced. And then eventually in 1999, Indonesia said, 
you know what, maybe we'll try not to be quite so colonialist. And then there was three years of UN rule. Mm. And uh, also this week, and a jury in Birmingham, Alabama, convicts former Ku Klux Klan member Bobby Frank Cherry of 1963 murders of four girls in the bombing of a 16th Street Baptist Church. Wow. Yeah. If you've yeah. seen, Spike Lee has a fantastic yes. documentary about this bombing mm-hmm. called uh, Just Four Little Girls or Four Black Girls. I forget. I guess four black girls. Yeah. This is one of those things where it's like, he was bragging about it. People knew yeah. he did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he wanted to talk to a journalist. He took the journalist out to barbecue and when the journalist started probing him he said that he was he went to watch wrestling the day of the bombing so that journalist looked up and found there was zero wrestling going on anywhere around him and the story started snowballing and bobby got arrested i mean bobby frank cherry that should be the name of a wacky character in a tennessee williams play or something But uh, thank goodness there is no statue of limitations on murder. So, yeah, fuck that guy. Fuck yeah, fuck blow that up guy. a fucking church just because black people go there. And what do you do? You just end up blowing up a bunch of little girls in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Good job, bro. Yeah. That'll show them that you're the master race. Mightiest. Yeah, fuck that's that. that's what a superior race does is pick off innocent yeah. children. It's a little bit better news. The Mars Odyssey finds, large, uh, finds signs of large ice deposits on the planet MERS. Um, yeah, this was big news at the time. Uh, people just generally didn't know if there was ice on Mars, and uh, Odyssey was a great scientific uh, advancement. Now, is that big, planetary discovery? We, we we care about this, and this is I'm really dumb, science dumb. I'm genuinely asking. We always look to Mars. We see news that the ah possible evidence of life sustaining elements on Mars, but is it possible that ice is just debris from something else or absolutely ice Mm -hmm. is in the vacuum of space most comets are just ice ice uh, absolutely does not need the slightest bit of life to be created yeah so that's what i thought it meant back then and now it's just like we keep getting these mars things like i don't think guys i don't think we can live on mars there's there's parts of australia you can't live in now like how the fuck are you supposed to be able to live on mars anyway moving the movies of 2002 the movie we unanimously praised last time, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, is still number one at the box office. So this bit of counter-programming from Monica Bellucci. <laughs> oh, God. Vincent oh, Vassalor. Lord. Jesus. Um, a movie that's more notorious than worth recommending because it is a... I watched it. It years ago and we'll never watch it again. Yes. <laughs> it it is been... absolutely a never watch again kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is bit I heard about it probably 15 years ago. I heard how powerful it is and it's been on my to watch list for 15 years and when this week came around I could not find a day when I was like I really want to watch this film. <laughs> yeah, I- irreversible. With Monica Bellucci, uh, Vincent Cassel, and Albert Dupontel. Gaspar Noé is a filmmaker who um, he likes to hurt his audience. That's mm-hmm. kind of his his thing. He he wants you to feel uncomfortable and weird. And this is extremely violent and grim. Uh, mostly notorious for two scenes. One, a guy getting his head absolutely caved in with a fire extinguisher. With like no and, cuts. It's fucking. And the other is a nine minute long, incredibly violent sexual assault. Yeah. But it is, and it ties into the movie we're going to talk about in a minute, and that it's memento like, in that it is yes. called backwards. 
and that kind of makes you think about the violence more of like it opens with these guys beating the shit out of the guy that they think is a rapist and you're like could he have done something so bad that he deserves this and then kind of like memento it's like if you get bad information in the system then you get bad results mm -hmm. and you find out maybe that's not the guy but the other but did the guy they killed was bad too so yeah it's i mean it's a commentary on violence that's also so extremely violent that you don't want to watch it the critics were rough on it i mean some of them saying like yes this is a brilliant commentary on violence and some of them saying like i feel like i've been assaulted now and it's just degrading to humanity like okay i feel like it's worth watching once because it's extremely powerful but um, brutal film but not... if you ever meet someone who says this is their favorite film and they watch it over and over oh, again run away yeah brutal is yes it's brutality the movie it's, it's yeah i shouldn't even say this it's oh, so sorry. i won't i'll tell you off my... anyway did you jerk off to this no 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 i just <laughs> i was a film nerd and when and when myspace came out i didn't take it seriously so it was like favorite movies and i i immediately thought of irreversible because i'd just seen mm. it and then i thought of what are movies with other disturbing scenes and i just put all those in my face because i'm a dumb edgelord how could this ever hurt me uh <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah bad I like Irreversible and The Accused and Deliverance. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much what it said. Uh, Anyone looking to date me? I was, but I swear it was really more of a flex. Like this is how many movies I can name with this type of scene in it because I would I know my movies. Um, and then also this week, no Wiley, Tessa Allen, Fred Ward. Did I kill Fred hey. Ward last week? Yeah. I, I think I think we both killed Fred Ward and got Andy Dick arrested. <laughs> I think Gr knew that in hindsight. Like uh, <laughs> I did not. Did Andy Dick get arrested? Yes, that's. I thought yeah, I was yeah. praising Andy Dick, and you're like, you shouldn't do that. Or something. <laughs> yes, he was arrested for more sexual assault, and I didn't realize how many times he's been picked up on that. Oh wow, yeah, and that was like right after we recorded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like. Wow. I was in the middle of editing the show. I saw that. I'm like, oh, grip. I do. Uh, pour out a viewing of Tremors for me. I love Fred Ward. Yeah. Dan Futterman, Juliet Lewis, Billy Campbell, and Jennifer Lopez in Enough! Enough! This is kind of nice counter-programming to Irreversible because it's about a woman in an abusive relationship and then she gets away from him and uh, it's just, it wasn't as girl powery and like good as I was hoping, mm -hmm. except at the end where JLo's been physically and emotionally abused by this guy this whole fucking movie and like runs away with their kid, hides in San Francisco and takes Krav Maga classes. And so at the end, she fucks his shit up. Mm, that nice. was nice. Krav Maga will fuck your shit up. But like comparing this to something like Sleeping with the Enemy, which I feel like we talked about like a year ago, maybe it's like, yeah, that's a much better picture of what an abusive relationship is because especially this one it's like it comes out of nowhere like no there's usually there's an escalation and there's a back and forth of love bombing oh baby i didn't mean it oh he'll be better now and then it gets worse again mm. but i mean it did get accurately that once a pregnancy gets into the picture of an abusive relationship it tends to get much worse yeah that's a statistic that has always just amazed me when my wife got pregnant 
it was like every protective instinct I had went into high gear and the idea of getting violent to her, never something I would ever do, but it would be like doubly, triply so when she was pregnant. But from what I read about it, it's just that uh, the man often feels a more loss of control when his mm. wife is pregnant and that's what often causes uh the escalation but of course it's at the root i think it's just uh bad people yep his so yeah enough i was a little a little disappointed i like i i like watching abusers uh get their shit kicked in and yeah. we need more of that just in the world in general if i got a movie for you i spit in your grave it's right there in my myspace favorites. hell yeah um, <laughs> uh it was and uh Oh, I start that movie about 45 minutes in. There you go. <laughs> just, just get to the good part. Wow, hard shift from that, that segue. The, one of the weirdest animated movies. One of the weirdest. A big studio ever put out. One it's of the weirdest franchises. Yes, it's still going. It's still going. Uh, Charles Napier, Robert Woo. Kate, uh, Matt Levin, uh, Richard McGonagall, that's a real name, Jeff LeBeau, Chopper Burnett, Daniel Studi, James Cromwell, and Matt Damon in Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. Those words are interchangeable. Stallion, Spirit, <laughs> Cimarron, Stallion of the Spirit. Whoa, you can do it. It's true. Yeah. Uh, it's true. I, can I can never remember. Spirit the... of the Stallion. Yeah. Yeah. I can never remember the name of this because I want to call it like Cimarron, Stallion of the Spirit. And I always assume. Stallion, assumed... Cimarron of the Spirit. The of Stallion, Spirit, Cimarron. Does it work? <laughs> and I always assumed it was based on some like American Girl book series, mm. but it's it's a unique DreamWorks property, which I pr pride myself in trying to see, especially around this time, seeing every animated movie I can because they were very few and far between up until semi-recently. And Shrek came out, what, last year, last summer? Yeah. And DreamWorks still, because of how long animation takes, they still have a traditional animated feature in the barrel featuring Matt Damon as a horse. And, <laughs> and uh, the traditional animation is solid in this. It's film. good. There's some gorgeous Dude. landscapes and the horses look good. They're definitely trying to not anthropomorphize the horses, which yeah. I appreciate. That, the that CGI was the surprising thing for me. Yeah. It was that like, yeah, the horses we hear in her monologue, they don't talk and there's no like wacky comic relief character. Like they don't no. have like a funny prairie dog buddy right. or something. Like, this is DreamWorks' most adult animated film. Uh, my friend's daughters watched the new one, and the animation is fucking good. I was like, I was shocked. Like, is this is that old movie? I'm like, no, that's brand new. There's there's still a new Spirit series happening right now, and I'm pissed I didn't get around to this. But I watched a ton of movies this week for the show because I pride myself in seeing all of these animated movies, and I thought this is a dismal failure. But it looks like. You know, my sister loved horses. I don't know if that's still a thing little girls are into. But mm. why wouldn't this be a big... It's Cars for Chicks. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I thought of that, but yeah. But it's also got like the Old West thing mm -hmm. so that their dads won't be bored too because it's about, you know, a, a horse and he's, you know, on the Great Plains and he's like captured by the army. I guess it's during the indian wars season. yeah and then, the plains horse yeah yeah and and then is rescued by a native american kid played by daniel studi that's west studi's son and uh then the, the adventures yeah and, and an original concept okay. which yeah you know we don't get a lot of anim anim animated movies based on original concepts these days yeah. so and uh brian adams does all the songs in this film oh, and boy. all the songs are told from the horse's perspective which again, yeah. we're really not trying to anthropomorphize this film. It's it's this is you're a horse. Put yourself in the mind of a horse. And uh, yeah. feeling, yeah, I was 
pleasantly surprised. I, yeah. I just sort of wrote this one off as like, eh, I don't really care. <laughs> and watching it like, oh, that was actually very relaxing and pretty and interesting. And yeah, it's just, it, it just seems so weird that a big studio would throw so much money at, yeah, a, a non-franchise property that's about the beautiful outdoors. And then release it up against fucking Star Wars. Because that's why I assumed yeah. it just got lost. But eventually it looks like it found it's found its way. I will make sure to give this a watch at some time. The movie I was most dying to revisit. Yeah. Because I think one of our greatest working... I call a lot of people greatest working directors. But Chris Nolan is one of those directors that can seemingly work any way he wants to. And literally sort of dictated when movie theaters were open for COVID <laughs> during COVID <laughs> because he's got that much power. He can make any kind of movie he wants. And on this show, we've talked, well, we talked about Dark Knight, but we talked mostly about Memento recently. And does this kid with the, the Memento kid have what it takes to follow up? We're going to give him a big studio shot. And here we are, Paul Dooley, uh, Nikki Cat, uh, Martin Donovan, Moore Tierney, Hillary Swank, Robin Williams, and Al Pacino in Insomnia. In the peaceful town of Nightmead, Alaska. Detective Burr! Didn't expect to see you this soon. A brilliant writer of murder mysteries. Working on a new book, Mr. Finch? Has found a way to live them out. Oh, man. Killing changes you. Who am I speaking to? And only one cop can stop him. You don't hide from me in a town this small. Where is she, Finch? I have great respect for your profession. That's why I write about it. Insomnia. Rated R. So, so like like every straight white guy in his 40s, I get drunk and fall asleep to Christopher Nolan movies, but never this one. And I had seen it before and did not dislike it. And I was like, huh, I wonder how this holds up. Because this is like the perfect example of a studio movie. I feel like we talk about a movie like this every episode and sort of shrug it off. And holy shit. Yeah. It, it, well, it's a thriller. It's a remake of a foreign film. Yeah. Got big Hollywood stars, but it is not a very Hollywoody movie. It's fucking great. Yes. I, I yes, it is. And I have I, I feel like a dick. I have to throw out the original is really, really good too, is still yeah. in Star's Guard. Yeah. Ninety seven. But this is one of those rare times where it's like I, I think they fine tuned it in the remake, and the remake is a little bit better. Yeah, it is it is utterly wonderful. And I don't know what he was filming on, but the shots of Alaska are like is this really a 20-year-old movie? This looks gorgeous. And of all, I think Al Pacino's output throughout this period is largely embarrassing. File it under Big Daddy Pacino. Oh, yeah! And, <laughs> yeah. and this is definitely Big, Pacino. Big Daddy Pacino, <laughs> but like he's hurt and bothered. It, it's, I think it's one of his best performances I've ever seen. I, and, I really think... There are moments in Insomnia where you see the Al Pacino that the 70s Al Pacino was growing to be. You you see mm. Godfather 2 Al Pacino still in there. And it's, he, it, it's so frustrating. It's there. He can unleash it, but he chooses not to. But he's still Why? got that Pacino. Yeah, like, oh, is that what's going on, little missy? Like, where is this accent from? <laughs> Haven't you spent a majority of your time in L.A.? Uh, aren't you in a Los Angeles detective in a... Utterly fascinating story about a Los Angeles detective flies to a remote uh, Alaskan town because of a murder. He's under internal affairs investigations for some chicanery. And his partner is talking about, you know, I got to take a deal, man. Like, I don't I think you'll be fine, though. It's like, don't sell me out like that. What are you doing? Uh, And uh, then looking for a killer who beat a young girl to death. He accidentally shoots that partner trying to shoot the fleeing suspect 
and only the suspect, the murder suspect sees. And they mm-hmm. entangle in like a little, a little game of phone tag and meeting up that is like tense. And Robin Williams is like, I don't typically like him in serious roles. He is awesome. He is awesome in this. Yeah. I just love that it becomes such a chess match of, of they're both blackmailing each other. Yeah. And trying to figure out, okay, no, you murdered this girl, but if I arrest you, you're going to turn me in. And Robin Williams is like, hey, let's frame this other guy. Because right now and... the cops think the suspect shot his partner. Right. But they don't because have Sal a... Pacino's been fucking with the evidence mm-hmm. to try to save his own butt. And it's like, and I know that you know that I know that I did the thing. And it's so tense. So, ah, it stays interesting the whole time. And yeah. the performances, it's called insomnia because they're up in 24-hour daylight. They're far enough north that... The sun never goes down and Al Pacino cannot sleep. And there's some of those moments where it's like, there he is, man. I'm I'm seeing old Pacino, like the real one. I, I know it's probably crazy, but part of me has always wanted to go to Alaska during that time and just see yeah. how would my body respond if it's just, you know, sunlight for 23 hours a day or whatever. The, you know, mm. what would that feel like? <laughs> what would my body's natural rhythm go? I was reminded because at the same time this movie came out, a fantastic episode of Insomniac with Dave Attell, the show where Dave Attell <laughs> stays awake after his set and they do it in Alaska during this time. So he does, it's like the only episode where he's doing things in broad daylight, even though it's like three in the morning. Mm. And, and, and it just, the take on it, I love it at the end. Like, did you shoot your partner? Like, ah, I don't know. I, I don't even know. What it, like, he's just so exasperated. But like Al Pacino turning in, this this movie should have been avoidable, like avoided at all costs from any other director. And yep. because of its success financially and critically, Christopher Nolan gets to kind of write his own ticket after this. I mean, mostly after Batman. But like yeah, Batman's his... Fu money that lets him do what he wants to do. It's the movie he's he's allowed to make. I'm still continually shocked by. I I intended being the only one that hasn't been very palatable to me, but I haven't given it a second viewing. But I love that man, and I think he took what this is what Diana said. This is like one of those scripts every big studio makes every three months just to have something out there. A cop does this twist and turns, get Al Pacino in there. And it should have been nothing. And instead I would bet you were like me. I, I did check it out back in the day, but like, I bet a bunch of people ignored this because of how generic it looked, but yeah. it is, there's, it's awesome. It is fucking fantastic. And I can't recommend it enough. Insomnia. Yeah. yeah. It, it is so weird to see the, the parallels between, I mean, honestly, two of our best directors working mm-hmm. Nolan and Fincher watching Fincher just get fucked over on like his big swing chance. And here we have Nolan, like he had a little indie. It barely, like he really had to fight to get it made, fight to get it released. And it's like, now he's getting the big studio money and they're just kind of let him. I I believe, yeah, it's, it's it's like Warner brothers gives him a shot and he's never really left uh, from underneath their umbrella. He's never worked for another studio because they're that seemingly adamant about keeping him there. And, I think I, I never mind. I can't remember the last Chris Nolan movie, movie news I read, but I do love that guy. And if you, if it's working you, on Oppenheimer, it, it, oh yeah, yeah, making it, a, a movie about uh, Oppenheimer and the bomb. If you're a big fan of The Dark Knight, Inception, Interstellar, Dunkirk, I bet there's an eighty percent chance you've never heard of this movie, and you should definitely make it a point to see it because it is low key, but just all the stuff you like about Nolan movies, wonderfully tense, beautifully. I, again, talking about the 70 millimeter camera, I don't know how those shots early in the movie were taken without that. They look 
I've been to Alaska. I've seen that in person. It still looks exceptional for a 20-year-old film. It mm-hmm. looks amazing. With that is the movies of the week, moving to television, May 20th to 26th. <laughs> we have some more dying of decades, sort of, so to speak, because uh, Sally, Sally Jesse Raphael, her show ends that week, and it's just, yeah, she was like kind of a household name, kind of shorthand for sub-Oprah talk shows daytime talk shows and now i just i don't think anybody i don't think anybody under 20 would have any idea who this is no no she didn't leave much of a mark but Mm -hmm. uh she does do a couple of interviews now and she definitely feels that she was pushed out of her show uh her producers Mm -hmm. wanted to make it more jerry springer like Mm -hmm. but you know her thing was she was more focused on exploring women issues trying to be the more classy television talk show and when she couldn't go in the jerry springer direction it ended yeah Mm. but wow almost 20 years yeah it's a good run i mean that's a really good run but i just remember everyone joking about her name you know i remember late night jokes about the sally jesse Raphael, donatello michelangelo Uh, (laughs) i think i think that was part of it she had a fun name to say uh because there weren't a lot of three-name people on television yet uh, yeah, she had big red glasses. Yes, that was... made red, red, which Diana does too. Now that I look at him, oh, I do. Yeah. yeah, maybe I'm actually Sally Jesse Raphael. <laughs> I buy it under dis- in disguise. Prove us wrong, listeners. Uh, and then Friday night videos ends oh. shockingly late, but for something that also yeah, started in '83. Lasted this long? This was NBC trying to steal MTV's thunder. They were like, "Well, we can just do that, can't we?" And so, you know, in a way, NBC showed music videos for like five times the amount of time that MTV did. I mean, have you, <laughs> have you ever checked out like after talk show shows currently on network television? I don't even see talk show yeah. shows. It's like even more yeah. bizarre when like you see like who is watching this young Sheldon show? <laughs> the shit that like occasionally I'll check out SNL over my antenna and the stuff that comes on at 1 a.m. is like. Does this even qualify as entertainment? You can show whatever the <laughs> fuck you want, apparently, at like 1 a.m. on a weekend. Again, it's just, you know, network television demographics is aging. And if you're an old person up at 1.30 a.m., aren't you probably drunk at the time? It's, yeah, <laughs> I would... you got that old people insomnia, man. But it used to, I used to see... speaking from experience. I mean, I've always been a night owl, but there are some times where it's just like, my brain's just decided I don't want to sleep anymore. But I still find it bizarre. I'm watching SNL, the highest rated scripted show on network television. It ends at one o'clock and then it's like, what's up, Floridians? We're, today we're going to visit the spaghetti factory. And like, how the fuck? Oh. What, what would you? <laughs> SNL's not a lead. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I would, I Where is the spaghetti factory? I'm just saying. What but like, type? Do but they like, make shells? Do they make uh, angel hair? I need to know, Chris. It's like, it's like this cross between like uh, Entertainment Tonight and Hugh Hauser's California Gold. Like, uh, <laughs> oh, I feel like this maybe is not a podcast so much as a video, but talking about what regionally comes on after yeah. SNL in different places. Because then it becomes regional stuff. Like in LA for the longest time, it was a call-in advice show with this older dude with red hair and the camera was always uncomfortably close <laughs> to his face. <laughs> And, and the, I don't know, I also heard Norm MacDonald, my Norm MacDonald listening this week, make fun of the Byron Allen show, which is a show none <laughs> of us know exists and has been on the air for decades. And it's just mm. one of those times on network television. It's literally nothing. <laughs> it is nothing. But it's airing on over-the-air television every week and has been for decades. So Friday Night Videos, I'm not surprised it lasted that long because they would replace it with like a fucking Bowflex 
uh, infomercial. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. But back then, if you didn't have cable, yeah, that's the only yeah. place you could see music videos. You didn't yeah. have internet. Yeah. I I always preferred Night Flight to Friday Night Video. Yeah, man. I've, I've, they have a streaming service now, and I've been curious about checking that out. Yeah, because they'd have like weird shorts from the 50s and interviews and stuff oh yeah yeah it was like yeah. uh like well the heyday of mtv or burly yeah. bear if i have to <laughs> which i can't find any information on let's move on to the death of the 90s in television of 2002 because ally mcbeal ends uh burns oh out burns out super hot after four or five seasons and, and a spin-off uh it's confusing because there was yeah. Allie McBeal and then the half hour Allie, <laughs> which I think was just re edited. Yeah, five seasons, 112 episodes. So they made syndication number mm. originally aired in 97. So yeah, it was it was big for a while. And you know, you can thank it for us having Robert Downey Jr. Sort of, yeah. We would not yeah. have him if it wasn't for the show. I really don't think so. Well, Two Girls yeah. and a Guy was such a good movie. And that was yeah. kind of well, his also Lucy Lou, Portia de Rossi, Jane Krakowski. I mean, they'd all. They all did time. Peter, what's his name from Ghostbusters and Kroll? Peter McNichol. There I it love is. Fucking Peter McNichol. There ah. it is. Thanks, Dave. But I don't think anyone will ever forget the Ally McBeal theme song. Single female lawyer fighting for her client, wearing sexy mini skirts and being self reliant. Single female lawyer having lots of sex. I love. I- we attribute that to The <laughs> Simpsons so much, but Futurama has a decayed Ally McBeal reference. <laughs> Inside of its timeless content. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I, I see uh, so much of Futurama is not specific to its time and place, but mm. there's these mo- odd moments that just stand out as like, no one rewatching this in the current year is going to get this. See? <laughs> see my Dharma and Greg rant from a few weeks ago. Earth Final yeah. Conflict ends. Well, they promised it was the final yeah. conflict. This was uh, Gene Roddenberry's final TV show. He was, you know, always, always trying to uh, recapture that magic. And every (laughs) TV show, every sci-fi TV show in the 1990s was really trying to be the next Star Trek. And they couldn't. That that could not happen, you know. Uh, That that time was just gone, you know. And it's it's bizarre because he's so influential. And I still think there's nothing like Star Trek. I've been... Rewatching the old movies uh, recently, but he had like next to no success outside of any nope. of that. Mm-hmm. Several pilot, like sci-fi pilots, that went fucking nowhere. I think you can get them like Warner Brothers in de- on-demand service. Sometimes you've got to accept. Oh no, I only made one massive entertainment <laughs> thing that influenced generations of people and gets referenced in every single time humans go to space. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Poor me. <laughs> Relic Hunter ends. Is that the Tia Carrera Tomb Reader? This is yep. Tia Reader. Carrera being female Indiana Jones. It's a globe-trotting adventure wow. where they go to any location that they can make Vancouver, British Columbia look like. Or it's cheesy goodness. There's a lot of Tia Carrera showing off her body in, you know, definitely a bikini lingerie way. But Every building in this world has traps in it. To give you an idea, in one episode, uh, a super fan steals some famous baseball player's glove, uh, hides it in Fenway Park, and as a result, the Relic Hunter team goes to Fenway Park and has to overcome the booby traps in Fenway Park. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, well, talking earlier about 
beginnings of directors, it doesn't get more inauspicious than this. I, I never saw the show Felicity, so I'm not shitting on the show Felicity. But if you would have told me this little show about a woman in her life, two creators would go on to be the director of the Batman and The Force Awakens. <laughs> how, how did J.J. Abrams and Matt Reeves go from Felicity to where they are now? It's kind of astonishing. It's kind of nuts. Yeah, it's about a girl goes off to college. So appropriately enough, it runs four years. Yeah, four years. Yeah. I, I give them that. College yeah. goes four years, so it lasted four years. I, I'd actually really like to see a quintology movie series uh, that just covers freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Say give Netflix a shot. They rarely get anything to five seasons. And, hey, <laughs> there you go. Uh, and, and also out this week, the episode tomorrow of Angel is its season finale. Oh, this has such a dark ending to it. Uh, so Angel had a son named Connor who got went to a different dimension, got raised by his adoptive father, who's a killer of vampires. That adopted father frames it so that Angel is the prime suspect to his own death. And then Angel's son decides that death is too good for Angel, so he traps him in a metal box and sinks that metal box into the ocean. Ooh. Angel is a vampire. He can't die. So he is trapped for potentially eternity in a metal box at the bottom of the ocean. Like Wolverine. And... <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that like to Barnabas me... Like Barnabas Collins. Fuck, we there just talked go. about that. Yeah, that to me would just be literal hell. Because if you're at the bottom of the ocean, you can last millions or even billions of years. Wouldn't you start to physically degrade, assuming the water gets into the coffin? I, mean, I feel no, like you start vampire. to fall apart. Yeah, then we got to talk I about... Fire. You would regenerate. Your, your, yeah. your yeah. fingers rot off and then they come back. Yeah. Ooh. So over and over again for billions of years until the earth yeah. is eaten by the sun. Yeah. I'd be like, can I at least have a pack of cards? <laughs> <laughs> can I bring my game gear? I'm sorry, Angel. It'll be at the bottom of the ocean. I only nah. have two hours of battery life. Uh, the episode also out this week considered one of its best episodes, Smallville, the episode Tempest. I remember watching this in the early 2000s. Uh, they have a tornado attack the town. And when I first watched it, I didn't think anything of it. But watching the tornado in this TV show in 2022, it looks utterly laughable. <laughs> you know, it is just ridiculous. And I, I couldn't watch the show because of that. It's just oh. suspension of disbelief. Oh, but it's the first season finale. So that, that yeah. sounds like a good... The, the other issue is I can't look at Clark's love interest without just thinking ran a sex cult hmm. no she abetted a sex cult oh she <laughs> and then the episode of star trek enterprise shockwave um so yeah this is the start of the big arc in enterprise uh this is when they introduced the temporal cold war and that could have been so good. I, it's, it's really one of those in the shadows of 9-11 moments because mm. it's a complete 9-11 attack on Earth by this alien enemy. And that's where the temporal Cold War starts. And I, I wish they could have done a little better with it because there was a lot of potential. I was always a big Star Trek Enterprise fan. I mm. thought it got more... Uh, hate than it definitely deserved in fact uh one time when i was at the star trek experience in las vegas the host asked me who my favorite captain was kirk picard or cisco and i said archer and she laughed and said i was the first person to ever say that 
I don't, the, the charm of Scott Bakula is undeniable. I've never heard anybody tell me this is mandatory viewing for Star Trek fans. Uh, I like it. I thought it was a good series. I, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping, I, I'd love to hear an endorsement of it. I'm going to be buried at the bottom of the ocean. I'm going to bring the Star Trek collection. <laughs> and then uh, lastly, in 2002, we talked about the games. One of the most bizarre licenses in video game history, Soldier of Fortune, the magazine. Soldier of Fortune 2, Double Helix, uh, it's out on PC because uh, this is a cut rate you, Call of Duty. Do you play as Watson or Crick? I don't even understand what that means. <laughs> I, don't. I do joke. not that reference. It's Watson uh, but... and Crick discovered credited oh! with discovering the double helix shape of the I know. DNA. Gotcha. gotcha. I, I, uh, I knew that, but I just wanted JR to have it explained to him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. Uh, it tried to be a more realistic tactical shooter, you know, going for the Rainbow Six model, not the Quake model. And we've talked about a thousand and one Scooby Doo games <laughs> that come out during this period, but Scooby Doo Night of Frights is here on PS2 20 years ago, but JR included a clip. Why? Wait, Fred. Like, I think I know who this guy really is. It's that spooky groundskeeper, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Blame the spooky groundskeeper. Anytime some ghost scares somebody off a well-kept lawn, it's just got to be the groundskeeper. Wow. Wow, they really got Don Knotts. Mocking the entire concept of Scooby-Doo, and you can't hear it, but this game has a laugh track. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I have never played a game in my life that has a laugh track, but this wow. does. Wow. Oh, my God. Uh, that's amazing. I didn't even know he was still alive at this point. And this, I love, I always forget, my impression of Don Knotts is so fucking, like, purple monkey dishwasher that I just don't even remember what he sounds like. And I'm like, oh, his Don Knotts impression is pretty subdued. Every time I hear the real Don Knotts. Yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah. That's amazing. He made it to 2006 when 2006. he was 86. But yeah, he, yeah. He, for a sort of my generation, he kind of became synonymous with Scooby Doo. I wasn't a big fan of the Andy Griffith show or Three's Company, yeah. but like I would encounter Don Knotts in a million and one Scooby Doo appearances, felt like. Yeah. Uh, oh, but what are we closing out 2002 with? Well, I realized that this marks around the 20th anniversary of some of the first really good mashups I've ever heard, Ooh. including Eminem versus Ragtime, which is a mashup <laughs> of Without You and, and some nice Ragtime piano. I also found there was a Eminem versus Bluegrass that does the same thing. A couple more, but it's like, this is right around the time because, you know, the internet's getting bigger and bigger that I started to hear goofy shit like this that I enjoy so much. Chris, I loved when you sent me WAP versus, was it Foggy Mountain Breakdown? or <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> what was it? No, wait, give me a second. I'll remember. Oh, Devil Went Down to Georgia. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Devil Went Down to Georgia versus Wet Ass Pussy. Was... <laughs> I had it in my head for a while. So, yeah, uh, I found buried in my computer Eminem versus Ragtime. And uh, it just brings me joy. Yeah. It, like It makes the whole song so much happier. Right. Eminem versus Ragtime. I wish I could credit it. If anyone can find the, the original credit from 20 years ago. Please, Hell yeah. please let me know. I'll give that guy a shout out because this just gives me joy. I love oh, my iPod. It used to come up randomly when I'm driving <laughs> and just I just crank it, roll the windows down and sit at stoplights. Like, is anyone going to notice? No, <laughs> no. Okay. Well, let's enjoy a bit of that, but stay right there, people. We're not done yet. We got one more segment yet and we finally have to address Will Smith. You waited as long to stop debating because I'm back. I'm on the bragging of your lady. Know that you got a job, Miss Cheney, but your husband's heart problems complicated. So the FCC won't let me be, or let me be me. So let me see. They try to shut me down on MTV, but it feels so empty without me. So- 
Mr. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner, where we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of May 20th through 26th, an extremely silly recommend that is a movie I feel like it's just kind of made for me and other classic film nerds, but I think you'll like it too. Don't be stressed about it. Turning 40 this week from 1982 is Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. No, I don't, I can't actually explain the title. I don't know why it's called Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. In the movie, they mention they don't know why it's called Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Starring Steve Martin, co-written by him and Carl Reiner, directed by Carl Reiner, and every, honestly, I think they made four movies together, Reiner and Steve Martin, and they're all fantastic. And this is definitely the silliest. Yes, sillier than The Jerk, because it is a 40s detective story where most of the other characters are played by clips from classic film. I don't know why no one else has tried to do this so much. I mean, we talked about Kung Pao Enter the Fist kind of tried to do this with like a Kung Fu movie and adding a new character. This, I I don't know that they haven't tried it anymore besides, I mean, obviously the rights are going to be tough because there's 19 vintage films incorporated into this movie. Plus he got the rights of like getting the rights of the actual person. Like, is Humphrey Bogart's estate going to be on board with this? I don't know. Is... Cary Grant's family going to think it's a little too weird that he's being edited into a shot where he's getting annoyed because Steve Martin is playing a harmonica on a train. I don't know, but it is, yes, it's ex- it's very silly besides the detective stuff. And even if you don't know who a lot of these stars are, it, it still holds up as a basic detective story, even though it seems to go in very strange directions because that's where the clips they're using take them. It, it, that's the thing that, like, I... I I assume no one else has done it besides the rights, is that it's just very hard. Like, they have to line up everyone's dialogue and story beats to make sense with these various clips from, like I said, 19 other movies. I should mention, for classic film nerds, it's also the final film of Miklos Rosa, who is a a great film composer and absolute legendary costume designer Edith Head. So, period correct costumes, because she made them back in the day, so she's making them here in 1982. And if you don't know who Edith Head is, yes you do, because she's the basis for Edna Mode in the Incredibles movies. And believe me when I tell you that when I saw that movie in the theater and Edna Mode popped up, I kind of screamed, and I scared all the children in the theater. They didn't understand. One day they will. So... Fortunately, not streaming. It's only a rental, but, you know, it's like four bucks. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, especially if you're a Steve Martin fan. He's working really hard. This is not easy for him to do, but he seems to be having a pretty good time because he gives an honestly really good performance. That's it for this week. Stay classic. Let's have a kiki. I want to have a kiki. Lock the doors. Let's have a kiki. Motherfucker. I'm going to let you have it. Let's have a kiki. Coming into 2012 with Let's Have a Kiki by the Scissor Sisters. Scissor Sisters. Welcome to 2012. May uh, May 20th through the 26th, our final segment of 30 2010. Yeah. Drag uh, culture is going mainstream, baby. Yeah. Also, other albums out this week include Homesick by Chris Price, Choice of Weapon by The Cult, Listen Up by Haley Reinhart, Born and Raised by John Mayer, Thank You, Camellia by Chris Allen, Apocalyptic Love by Slash, Voltaire by Sigur Ross, An Awesome Wave by Alt J. And, of course, Magic Hour by the Scissor Sisters. Somebody that you used to know by Gautier is still number one. But we also have the Eurovision Song Contest winner, <laughs> Sweden's Loren with Euphoria. Euphoria. 
cannot believe how similar <laughs> all these songs sound, regardless of what decade they're in. Yeah. European so pop. A little more dubstepy, I guess. Uh-huh. All right. And a little bit of news to bring us into the world of 2012. Ten years ago, 120 people are killed and 350 injured by a suicide bomb in Sana's Yemen. Yeah. Ah, so that's the, a lot of people for one bomb. It really is. Yeah. The, the Yemen issue keeps getting worse and worse from this point forward there's going to be a very nasty war starting soon hundreds of thousands of people are going to be dying started under obama biden said he would end it i'm sure it's going to come as a shock that there are certain campaign promises that have not been fulfilled and that's one of them and so in yemen we're currently kind of fighting on the side of al-qaeda so yeah Oh, hey. (laughs) Mm. More tech news, I'm guessing from JR. A SpaceX Dragon becomes the first commercial spacecraft to dock at the International Space Station. Yep, 10 years after its founding. We just talked about its founding in Mm -hmm. 2002. Wow. It's not just for governments anymore. (laughs) 10 years to reach that point is an incredibly quick progression rate, and the next 10 years are going to be even more, so... Mm. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> on the lighter side of the news, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. Uh, I had to use my Final Fantasy new- Roman numeral now. It was there, but uh, <laughs> the Pope's butler is arrested for allegedly leaking confidential documents. And every organization in the world makes a butler did it joke. It is the papal punchline that is rocking the Vatican. <laughs> the butler did it. His name, Paolo Gabriele. That's him pouring wine for Benedict XVI, and that's him sitting in the front seat of the Pope Mobile, literally at the Pope's right hand, where he always is. He dresses the Pope, travels everywhere with the Pope, and now he is accused of betraying the Pope. Oh, betraying the Pope. The butler did it, guys. Yeah. Oh. He released some wacky documents, people. He released a plot of a cardinal who wanted to kill the Pope to replace him. I mean, we're talking Borgio level of uh, (laughs) shit going on. He released corruption at the Vatican Bank and all the details of the internal power struggles between the reformers who want to move the church in a different direction and the conservatives who don't want anything about the Catholic Church to change. So he would would later turn down book deals and film deals and uh yeah but he he released a lot of stuff that any historian of the papacy is is very happy to have out there man i gotta put yeah. that i gotta put that do on it. my bucket list things i want to do before i die betray the pope oh that'd be fun <laughs> and then let's move on to movies of 2012 probably avengers is kicking ass right around now no, there's Unseats Avengers oh, in the shit, box office uh, this week. Oh, wow. But other films that we have... Oh, my God, you're going to make me read all these names. Dimitri Dietchiknov and Ingrid Bolso-Berdell. Nathan Phillips. <laughs> Olivia Taylor-Dudley, Jesse McCarthy, uh, Devin Kelly, and Jonathan Sadowski, uh, Chernobyl Diaries. Yep. Folks, go to Chernobyl. They're not supposed to go to Chernobyl, but the tourists, and they're dicking around, and then, oh, crap, they get attacked by gross things. It's uh, produced by Oren Pelly, the paranormal activity guy. The reviews are not great, mm. but I mean, they actually film in Eastern Europe, which, okay, fine. I think they do a little bit of filming around Pripyat, the town next to Chernobyl, but they didn't film like the real thing there, like all of it, because that's not a great idea. <laughs> and, and then we have Sarah Silverman, Seth Rogen, and Michelle Williams in Take This Waltz. Yeah, Sarah Polly joint. Yeah, a so, little girl from Baron Munchaus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
and she's going to Canadian it up for us. So it's, man, it's like, I don't want to call it a rom-com, but it sort of is because it's about like Michelle Williams is married to Seth Rogen, and, but things are kind of boring because things get sort of boring and she starts yeah. getting interested oh. in this other guy and kind of like the whole point of it is like, yeah, relationships are kind of boring and the grass is always greener. You got to learn to cope with that or else you'll always be unhappy the the vast vast majority of romance movies are always about the relatively short portion where you're uh doing the seduction period it's mm -hmm. not really explored in anywhere a similar ratio the actual day-to-day -day grind of a relationship mm -hmm. you know i think the central theme of this movie is there's not a finish line mm -hmm. you, you don't get a trophy at any point many things in life uh, marriage, raising a child, many jobs don't have a real end. They just go on for decade after decade. Ugh. And your job as a human is to find meaning and joy in things that both don't change or change a little bit at a time over time over mm. time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, I admit I didn't rewatch this, but I, I quite enjoyed it. Sarah Pauly's movies are pretty interesting in that they're, you know, what are we just talking about? Francis Ha. We just talked about Francis mm -hmm. Ha like last week. The sort of like, this is a slice of life. It feels very realistic. But am I going to get anything out of this? Except be like, wow, that felt really realistic. Whereas Sarah Polly's movies are sort of the same. And like, oh, this is a nice slice of life. But I do feel like I'm getting something out of this. There, There is a theme going on that you can like discuss afterwards. I just remember that it was famous for a nude scene with all the female actors. And it is mm -hmm. one of the least sexy nude scenes. It's just them hanging out in a shower. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, if you ever want to see Sarah Silverman do Full Frontal, this is your film. <laughs> also, Michelle Williams can do goddamn anything. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. Jeez. Yeah, take this waltz. It's not a great title. Kind of forgettable, but all right. Also out this week, Patricia Arquette, Matthew Modine, and Ava Mendez in Girl in Progress. Girl in Progress. The reviews on this were like, okay, but it seems like it's mostly about Ava Mendez is, you know, like a struggling single mom and her daughter is like trying to grow up way too fast. Mm -hmm. uh, I admit I did not get around to watching it. And the reviews were sort of like, eh, it's okay. It hits some cliches, but it also looks at some things in a different way. So that's nice. Is, was that, yeah. is, is this like, she hasn't acted in a while and said she'd come back. Okay, no, this isn't her last movie. No? no. Okay. Uh, but I like her. It's close. Uh, and then everyone's getting out of the way. Number yeah, one movie to box, box office this week. Michael Stolberg, Alice Eve, Emma Thompson, Jermaine Clement, Josh Brolin, Tommy Lee Jones, and Will Smith. It's Men in Black 3. The men are in a situation. Don't worry. Oh, no, I'm worried. Very worried. The mystery. Kay's been involved in some sort of time travel. What? The mission. Send me back to 1969 to save my partner. Kay? How do you know my name? I'm an agent of Men in Black, but I'm from the future. And there's an invasion coming, so we need to go right now. All right. Men in Black 3. <laughs> uh, Men in Black 3, 10 years uh, in the fucking making, uh, finally hits I, theaters. Yeah. I think Josh Brolin was raised in a tube to play young Tommy Lee it's, Jones. It's because he is pitch perfect. It's I so would entertaining. Say he's the best thing about this movie. It's so his entertaining. Portrayal of young Tommy it's, Lee. Whatever you it's say. It's so funny. And I realized. Wait, they're both in No Country for Old Men. I don't think they have ever have a scene together. They don't. Which is good because I'd be like, "That's your daddy." That, <laughs> what? That, that's him. That's like, that's you from the future. Uh, you get shot by Trigger. Yeah, I just you know 
the road to the phenomenal success we've seen now with the MCU is paved with Blade and Men in Black. Men in Black is very technically a Marvel property because Marvel acquired the label that published the Men in Black uh, comic books. So I mean, I guess. Yeah, but but uh, if you're coming from the perspective of a studio head, oh, right. this Marvel thing is generating ideas. It is it is based. Said in the credits, it's based on the Marvel comics, even though, you know, Mar- it less to do with this than Blade. Also, odd it took them that long to focus on a black character in the MCU, <laughs> considering those details. It's also shocking, because Will Smith is involved, and that this took so fucking... It's just, it's unfathomable now. Two wasn't good. Two was not good. Two is terrible. No one likes two. It is really short. And it has nothing new going on in it. it it's but it, well, see, they really made a mistake with this series because one ended with Tommy Lee Jones being retired mm-hmm. and a new agent taking his place. They were so desperate to always get that Tommy Lee Jones Will Smith synergy that they got in one that they shoehorned it into two. And even when you know Tommy Lee Jones is old in this film and he's not in it for most of it for a reason. Yeah. Uh, they still want that energy. So they really needed to try to branch off. They needed to have Will Smith's character grow and change more. There are moments in three where he's still acting like a gosh, wow agent when he <laughs> should have been the old hand, nothing phases him agent. He should have a mentee and be the mentor, but they just, they can't let go of that magic from one. This works and it, it bums me out just because the first Men in Black, even two, are some of the highest grossing movies that have ever been made and every men in black movie has made less than the previous movie and that's not counting inflation if you count inflation it's even more in absolute terms each one made less and uh, so that's not a good direction for green lighting sequels it's just odd the the franchise heavy universe that we're living in that it is a 15 year journey across three movies if you think the kids who love men in black are 15 years older and they don't the movie isn't totally about like, oh, it's so crazy. We're still doing this at this age. It's like, no, every, everything's business as usual. And a story I didn't think I'd be interested in at all, but I actually really liked. I liked it. I watched it again this week and I, I saw it when it came out. I kept singing its praises. Like this movie's actually good, but like everyone I knew who cared about Men in Black had grown up. It just, yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I didn't bother with it. I was just but, like, yeah, the first one's fine. The second one, I think I caught on HBO and was really disappointed. And I was like, everyone said this one was better. I get around to it. So I got around to it this weekend. And yeah, it's better. It's fun. It's it's a little sloppy. They kind of have multiple. They like kind of go after a MacGuffin and then that falls by the wayside and they kind of go after another one. And the time travel stuff is fun. How old do you think they think Emma Thompson is, though? <laughs> I I don't know. Now, now, here's the weird thing. Okay, so we find out in 1968 or 69 that uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Emma Thompson back then were kind of flirting with each other, mm-hmm. which implies that they're close to the same age, but they're about 14 years apart. Now, what's weird is Josh Brolin and Alice Eve, who play them younger, are also about 14 years apart. <laughs> uh, but... Josh Brolin looks like he was so, born 47. Time travel whammy mammy ball. And then if Josh Brolin is actually 29, which is a good joke because he's really like in his 40s, 
that makes Alice Eve like 15. So that doesn't make any sense. Or maybe he's lying about being 29. But in 1969, Tommy Lee Jones was actually 23. Mm. So also probably looked 82. doesn't know what old people look like is my point. Right. Well, uh, it was a good joke, though. I mean, honestly, he should play young Tommy Lee Jones. So I like the yeah. thing where Will Smith said, wow, you got some city miles on your boy. <laughs> and it basically gives them an excuse to retread the dynamic of the first movie by meeting mm-hmm. Kay again for the first time. Uh, I, I I miss Rip Torn, though. Yeah. I, I understand he couldn't be in this film for health reasons, which, uh, God bless him, but uh, he was perfectly cast for that character, and the film is less with his absence. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And I, I thought Emma Thompson is a fun replacement. She just doesn't get anything to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, throwing in Michael Stuhlbarg in such an un-Michael stuhlbarg role. Uh, when he first popped up, I didn't get a good look at him, and I thought it was Michael Sarah for a second. <laughs> he's <so> nice, <laughs> but so he's actually nice. just like this wide-eyed, sweet-natured guy who can see all-time possibilities at the same time. And he's like, oh, good, we're in the universe where I don't get shot right now. I'll get shot in two and a half minutes. And, <laughs> <laughs> he was a fun character. I, and I really brings up him. more story potential for men in black. Now that yep. time travel and alternate dimensions, in addition to interplanetary travel, I just I don't know if this the, the answer was more will smith tommy lee jones movies but it just seems odd this franchise no, stalled at two movies clearly to do a crossover with yeah, 21, 21 jump, jump street. street i had to look that was that was announced almost 10 years ago and it wasn't so much yeah. announced as it was like we're thinking about it but, but why <laughs> why were you even thinking about it why did that cross your mind because that's the properties they have that's why spider-man <laughs> meant two other versions of himself because they had that's what they had to use and and I, I, but I, I thought this want, was great. I want a Bill Haderverse movie. Fuck you. I want every character Bill Hader's ever played, including Andy Warhol, who's actually an alien. <laughs> that was by far the best part of the movie is, yeah, them finding, oh, we got to go talk to Andy Warhol. And he's, you know, usually talking in his usual Andy Warhol way. And then he just breaks and it's like, why are you here ruining my cover? I, I, fucking, I saw that. My, biggest laugh I got. This is a good Andy Warhol, but I swear that's Bill Hader. And I had, because he's under heavy makeup. The makeup's and fantastic. It never takes off yeah. the nose. And I'm this this doesn't tie in together at all. But uh Bill Hader narrated the Beaver trilogy documentary uh-huh. with Crispin Glover, who yeah. also played Andy Warhol. I mean, I have something about that scene I, I want to say in a second, but like I just wanted to point out like watching this movie, you know, 10 years CGI we had talked about. I don't think it's very flawed, other than some it never looks like they're actually in Florida. But in mm-hmm. terms of like comedic Yeah, there's some like that guy just ain't right. The lighting's yes. just not right. A lot of it is through, I think, Rick Baker doing the puppeteering and makeup. It just, these aliens, tertiary aliens look phenomenal. And there's comedic sequences, action co- comedy sequence with heavy CG that still work 10 years later that look good in a way that I don't think I've seen the modern Marvel movies be able to recapture. And I think that's probably got, we just watched the Adams Family from Barry Sonnenfeld. Like he kind of has a gift for that. I don't think Marvel does at this point. I'm still, I, I, I don't know. I wish there were funnier action sequences like high budget action sequences and this this movie is a little all over the place but i love jermaine clement's character i love mm-hmm. his makeup i love his voice if if this was the second men in black movie i think the series would have oh, kept yeah. on going the, it, the, it, if this was second it would have continued and of course it does continue in uh Seven years, there's going to be yeah. Men in Black 4. International. But there's some fun moments. I love the time-traveling bad guy just being pissed off at his younger self. <laughs> it's always amusing to me because I think if I met my younger self, I'd be, oh, you stupid, stupid 
<laughs> yeah, I would I would not obey any rules. Like I will definitely do things to make my life better now. Hey, kid, exercise. Try, try stretching. Well, and there were multiple instances of Will Smith getting hit in the face. So that, okay, that's what I wanted that to get. Nice. To. That's what I wanted to get to. I uh, uh, I applauded pretty much every time. Like that's right. I have avoided talking about the Will Smith slap because <gasps> as much as I could, because it's just I here's a weird, a possibly weird take. What if that's a meaningless moment? It was just mildly shocking. It's not an attack on comedy, and it's not. It's not. It's not. We're going to get violence at every Oscars. Although I'm sure people will watch more. I'm just. It's just like not this big a deal, and we can't stop talking about it. And then I watch this movie, and here's a line with Will Smith talking to or Jay talking to Bill Hader's Andy Warhol. Who's the dumbass? Whoa! Hey, how about a little professional courtesy here? What's that dumbass? Say it again. You want me to? I dare you. Agents, you know, I don't have no problem pimp slapping the shiznit out of Andy Warhol. It's like, okay, that line is ruined. There's no comedic value in that line anymore because of what Will Smith did. And he yeah, gets I think it's more funnier. <laughs> he gets slapped a bunch in the movie, and it's just like, well, great. Now I can't think of anything else but this one moment that might end up defining Will Smith more than no. his on screen legacy. You no. don't think so? No, nah, just short term. He's not yeah, going to be able to show up at the Oscars anymore. I'm just saying the, the biggest, like, I don't think it, let a guy defend his wife with a harmless slap. Who gives a shit? Comedians should be worried about being hit for being dicks. No. Uh, more people should hit no, each other they, at the Oscars. And No. Not on stage. Do it in the audience. It's more fun that way. No. Dis yes. Hard disagree. No, you should not hit people who disagree with you. I believe oh, no, you no, should I didn't agree say with that. me on this. More than anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you have a lot of hits coming, my friend. If you don't agree with me, I'm going to hit you. Okay. So. Okay. So, uh, but but yeah, and I, I never wanted to talk about it just because I didn't think it like mattered that much. But like, there's so many jokes in this movie based around slapping <laughs> Will Smith and slapping that just are are in a colored in a new weird context that to me just like ugh, I cringe instead of laughing. Well, I I cringe not even just from the slapping, but the police violence. These are oh yeah. Bad cops. They just grab people and start hitting them to get information out of them. That's that's bad police work. Now I don't know what kind of rules the men in black work under, but superhero rules. That's not okay. Superhero rules. They're just in they're just in suits, Diana. When the fate of the universe is on the line, you know, someone's getting hit with a phone book on occasion. You no, know, just get you just randomly hit people. Be like, Tell me what you know. But yeah, there's no. there's the the bad whole cops. plot of this movie is Will Smith going back in time to meet a younger version of his predecessor. So it's sort of, you know, like I hate to bring up Avengers Endgame so much, but it's like, if this was going to be the last one of those movies, I kind of wish they yeah. played with the time concept a little more and we could read. Technology wasn't there. They couldn't travel back to 1997 and have young Will Smith and young Tommy Lee Jones. It would look too bad. Yeah. And they both, well, they both look exactly the same in my eyes at this point. But uh, yeah, I, I, no one knew this was going to be the last one, but in all likelihood, how could it not be? But I, Men in Black, it's just something I wish was kind of more franchisey. It was a cartoon ride, a game, as we'll see. I feel but, like cartoon is where it, it was meant to be, though. Yeah, kind of. It's a yeah. much better idea for an animated series. So yeah, who knows? Maybe that'll get uh, resurrected like somewhere what else. What we talked about with the X-Files, I'm not sure how it can work in the days of cell phones everywhere, you mm. know? Uh, Will Smith um, in two, like memory wipes people on the subway train mm -hmm. um, when they see the monster eating the subway train. And then today there'd be a million hits on YouTube, you know, uh, before he could memory wipe a single person. I took a note of that. There's a scene where Will Smith is attacked by a giant CGI fish and he 
neuralizes them. But he doesn't say this didn't happen. He said, remember that goldfish you won at the state fair that I told you not to take home? This is what happened. So he confirms what you saw was real, but it just wasn't what you thought. And hmm. maybe that's how, because that's like the, the only time they're dealing with the modern public in that one sequence. But yeah, I, I sort of wish this was longer and I wish there was more Men in Black movies and I wish Will Smith didn't slap somebody. Yep. Especially Chris Rock. It just yeah. seems so unslappable. 2012 TV... Uh, May 20th to the 26th. Philip Phillips wins season 11 of American Idol. I take that's your word for it. I just thought his name was silly. I, I've never heard heard his name before. Yep, that's the name. Um, legal last name. Junior. His dad did that to him <laughs> after knowing what it's like growing up being Philip Phillips. Uh, and then uh, on E, Maybe we get the boy like Sue type thing. Maybe, yeah. On the E channel, you got to pronounce that exclamation point. Uh, we get Miss Miss Eastwood and company. Is this who I think it is? A reality? Yes, this is Clint Eastwood's wife. She decided she was going to manage a South African boy band, and that this should be a reality show. And then she got advice from Kim Kardashian. And started involving her teenage daughters onto the show. Uh. And that kind of took over. And then a year later, Mrs. Eastwood entered rehab for stress and mm. uh, soon divorced Mr. Eastwood. Uh-huh. Right. Created by, same folks created Real World. They're still doing it. Wow. Part of the fun of a show like The Osbournes was just to see like Ozzy Osbourne suffer indignities. I would love to see that with old Clint Eastwood. This like 18th wife. And his <laughs> children the age of his great grandchildren. Oh, it'd be so much fun. Ugh, it's just gristling his face all the time. Ugh. Jungle Junction ends on Disney Junior. And... Weird show. The animals are part animal, part vehicle. So Hell picture yeah. the puzzles, except deeply creepy. I mean, Zooter is a cross between a pink pig and a scooter. Oh, Ellie yeah. Van is a cross between an elephant and a van. And so on and so forth. Um, they have fun-filled adventures. I just find the concept to be oh, these, kind of odd. These designs are awful. Yeah, a bunch of a bunch of anthropomorphic animals that demand you come inside them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, also on TV, most notably, uh, we bid bid adieu to House. House ends on Fox. Oh, man, uh, this was part of oh, the no. television renaissance. You know, I really do feel that House was. The direction network TV tried to go down mm -hmm. before it went down the siren call of reality TV. Mm. Like you had West Wing, you had House, you've had some of the really good network TV shows. There's not a single network TV show around today that I watch. House was always an amazing series because it covered a very unconventional protagonist. House is not likable. House is very combative. House is in constant daily pain. For listeners who may know, I got surgery because uh, my nerves were being pinched and causing me daily pain. It does affect you. Mm -hmm. oh, it yeah. does affect your personality. And it was really interesting to see a character deal with that. What did he have? I never, I've never. i only seen like scant episodes of the show. He had uh, a cane, right? He'd, he'd had... Um, I think a blood clot in his leg and they did mm. radical surgery to remove his, they removed a bunch of the, the uh, muscle tissue mm -hmm. and that just left him in ridiculous pain and needing to use a cane. Mm. And take Percocet all the time yeah. and other painkillers. Constantly but, popping pills. But there was always the question of to what degree he's an addict and to what degree does he need the painkillers versus using his pain to feed his addiction to drugs. Mm-hmm. 
it was covered really well. The character House is also, of course, based upon Sherlock Holmes. MacGyver. Holmes House. Mm-hmm. Uh, His best friend is Dr. Wilson. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I never this... fucking knew that. <laughs> yep. yep. I believe he does live at 221B somewhere, too. Yeah. No. And the whole point of the show is he makes a series of deductions. They're just usually medical deductions. It's a whodunit, only the who is a disease, not a criminal. The character House actually makes more realistic deductions than the character of Sherlock Holmes. Even if you watch the new BBC Sherlock Holmes, Mm -hmm. that Sherlock and the literary Sherlock makes a ton of assumptions in his deductions, which could have gone utterly different ways but because they have the writers on the side they're always right uh house makes pretty reasonable deductions given what he sees yeah and it's so year- many people's introduction to hugh laurie mm-hmm. especially hugh laurie as a dramatic actor yeah which yeah, like, i'm a hugh laurie fan going back we're gonna talk about a movie from 1992 with hugh laurie in oh, it that i like and uh i like he's you know chiefs and wooster he's you know a wacky fun guy and <laughs> All of a sudden, it's like Mr. Serious Actor. And I'm like, oh, my God, is that the same guy? And so many people, like, they didn't even know he's the wacky guy. Yeah, it's a very odd second stage of his career, like the British Bob Odenkirk. (laughs) And uh, Fox wanted... Yes! Fox wanted the show to go on, but Hugh was like, I've been doing 16-hour days for nine years i'm done guys and they ended on yet another sherlock holmes uh homage the episode ends with his death but that at the very end it's shown that he faked his death just like sherlock holmes did so that's a nice little touch i didn't watch so but i did remember this because a buddy who i grew up with and we made stuff together he got his first gig uh on the show house i'm like holy shit dude congratulations it's like yeah blah blah blah. i might be able to write a script and then like a week later this is house's last season like dude i'm so sorry (laughs) i'm so sorry yeah but i mean for a procedural that's you know a medical procedural you compare it to something like gray's anatomy you know which also has like a patient of the week generally or er uh i mean it went deeper into weirder medical stuff that's for sure and it also had just a deep bench of really good actors you know omar epps robert sean leonard uh cal penn olivia wilde yeah it's always it's yeah i feel like this one you could speed binge where yeah you could just go look up the best 20 episodes mm-hmm. and yeah. just watch those yep yeah yeah and uh that about wraps up television what about the video games of 10 years ago 2012 may 20 through the uh, 26th mario tennis open on 3ds uh we've been having mario tennis 3d games for 20 years now mm-hmm. and this has some improvements in the formula there's some rpg elements personally nothing's ever gonna top mario tennis for the n64 for me but that's completely because i was playing it with my college-age friends at the time unlimited free time huge matches i don't feel like you can get that experience on the 3ds it doesn't feel the epic nature that some of those and when are you going to debut a character as solid as waluigi yeah he's (laughs) born in the tennis series but uh, it it suffers from the 3ds problem of some touch screen controls which Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm sorry, Nintendo. I do not have three hands. And uh, also out this week, Dragon's Dogma on PS360. Dragon's Dogma. So it was released back in 2012, but it just got a uh, Switch port, 2019. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if a game can get a re-release, must have something going for it. I've never played it, though. Damn, I would hope, I was hoping you'd talk more about it. <laughs> it might be uh, Alien Crisis. It, Men in Black was one of the few 
movie properties to get a tie-in game. It was because it was that kind of old guard type of property. But um, there's no Agent J in this yep. film. You, you play Will Smith. the new guy. The uh, no relationship to the film. There's basically three types of levels. You got your shooting levels, your stealth levels, and your driving levels. Man, yeah, there should be a really great Men in Black game at some point. Good there lord, there should be. It should. They shouldn't make a Men in Black open world game yeah. where you go around suppressing alien encounters, mind wiping people, and have a giant overarching plot as you're doing your side quest. I that would be leave the precinct. That'd be so cool. Sorcery on PS3 is a game that's all out. Hand-drawn style looks gorgeous on this game. Uh, it really looks to me a lot like Winnie the Pooh's Hundred Acre Woods. So Ooh. if you ever wanted to have deadly combat around Pooh Corner, this is the game for you. I'm going to change this combo into my new katana, which has bleed. <laughs> <laughs> and Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Future Soldier is also out this week. I think Tom Clancy's series are kind of like Madden. I don't think there's any reason to play the past episodes. Uh, I think the most recent one is probably always the best. There's, It's different now because there's definitely a, a live Tom Clancy scene. and there's, But at this point, there was still very much single-player uh, storyline focus in Tom Clancy games, in addition to multiplayer. I think you're seeing the balance shift into more live functionality. This I probably. Saw- tweet that i don't know if it's real or not Mm -hmm. but it was a game company apologizing for having russian special forces be their bad guys because if they knew how incompetent the russians were (laughs) they wouldn't have had them as the bad guys in their game um and then uh we got doctor who the eternity clock on psn a decent number of puzzles but it's it's not a very good doctor who game i i think we've yet to have a really awesome Doctor Who game, given the character. And Plague Inc. on iOS. I played a F-ton of this game during when you think I played it. <laughs> I, uh, I And I wasn't the only one. During lockdown, this shot to number one on the iOS store after eight years after it had already been released or something like that. Mm-hmm. The whole point of this game is you are playing a plague. You are playing the virus. You are trying to... <laughs> exterminate humanity by mutating so that you spread over the world there's various strategies i went for the slow strategy because freaking greenland man greenland (laughs) like shut itself down and does not let your virus into it and your goal is to exterminate every last human on earth uh they came out with a couple of different versions and i believe i haven't played it after covid they came out of as a version where you solved the plague (laughs) and that almost wraps up the show but i can't tell you enough to stay tuned because we're going to tell you who died during this period of 30 2010 and quiz where i'm going to face off against diana for the first time ever are holy lord Let's see how this goes. But before we do that, we just got to give a couple plugs out there. Thanks for listening. Patreon.com slash LazerTime supports us, this show, and the whole LazerTime network. Video Game Apocalypse, I love this tease, might be talking about wacky races on NES uh, this episode. Because in honor of Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers, the movie coming out, we're talking about the greatest games ever based on kid shows. Most games based on kid shows are dog shit. So we had to find the best. So tune in to see if we got it right. Di, where can people find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at ListenNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. Coming up next week, we've got Whoopi Goldberg is a nun. 
again. Well, that's going to be silly. What? We got the second of our two Snow White action type movies, oh and we have the debut of the only show on HBO. I'll give you that one on HBO that challenges The Sopranos for quality. Fair. Okay. Fair. I think I know what you mean. Yep. I think I know what you mean. When you walk through the garden. Oh, okay. <laughs> JR, what about you? What do you have going on? They can find me on the Twitter at JRRALLS. And we've been recording a bunch of extra stuff for you. You guys do a whole thing on Conan? Conan. Yeah, we did. I think it's going to be released as a bonus time episode soon. Patreon.com slash laser time. Check that out, folks. So who died during this period? Died I? Oh, we lost in 2002. We lost paleontologist Stephen Jay Gould, who was only 60 and was probably the most famous paleontologist around. He wrote uh, a bunch of books that I ended up reading in college that I really enjoyed, kind of breaking down different theories of evolution and why people do stuff and how do societies work. And mm. uh, yeah, his work is really fun. And that's where I learned about the Irish elk, which I'm kind of fascinated by now. What is an Irish? It's just elk with red hair? No, it's an elk that was so big that like a, a man could probably stand between his front legs Whoa. and reach his chest. Hell Easy. yeah. Super fauna. I'm going to turn that thing like a Lord of the Rings war elephant. Sweet. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then in 2012, uh, that's when we lost Robin Gibb, who's 62. Today, we've lost a Bee Gees. And I, I only remember this, and I wasn't watching SNL much at the time, but they, for some reason, had recurring <laughs> Bee Gees sketches. And I yeah. think I remember reading it in that context. So are you going to be able to do another Barry Gibb show sketch? Like, I don't know, man. That's not worth thinking about right now. Well, yeah. Come on. Now we only got one BG left, man. Yeah. It's sad. Okay. But with that, the deaths out of the way, we got to figure out the opposite. Who was born. ba 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 birthdays! Oh, birthday is a doodly-doo. A ding-dong doodly-doodly-ding-dong-doo. Oh, oh, my God. Right. I got to play Diana. Let's see. Here we go. Turning 48 years old, born May 23rd, 1974, in Payson, Utah, but quickly moved and was raised in Homer, Alaska. There, she grew up singing. Yes. What? Jewel. It is Jewel. What the fuck? How many times like this? I did not expect that. That early okay, what, one of the only people i know from alaska what was the yeah. okay that was it just the okay. alaska thing you paused on yeah. alaska and it gave me the time to think about it man all right i'm i'm gonna go right, through my going. research though keep going uh, she grew up singing and yodeling as a duo with her father she lived in a van in san diego while she played at a coffee house uh, she was discovered when a fellow singer recommended his manager at Atlantic Records uh, listen to the girl surfer who sung at the local coffee shop on Thursdays. Movies of Jewels that we've talked about include Ride with the Devil in 1999, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. She appeared as herself in the following TV shows, The Young and the Restless, Las Vegas, Seventh Heaven, and CSI. She was a judge on the following reality TV shows, The Voice and The Masked Singer. And then I was going to say, in 1998, she released a collection of poetry, A Night Without Armor, for which she was paid in advance of $2 million, Damn. thus making her, at the age of 24, the highest paid poet in all of history. <laughs> wow. To say the only paid poet in yeah. all of history. Wow. And during an interview on MTV, Kurt Loder pointed out that she used a word incorrectly, the word 
callousness versus causality mm. to which jewel responded you're smart ass for pointing that out next topic mm. <laughs> then i was gonna say songs of her you may know you were meant for me foolish games hands intuition and the biggie who will save your soul and if you guys didn't guess it at that point i was just yeah. and i would have added if in I, there if i didn't take the stab at alaska the living in a van i, I that yeah. was a big part of her like she was living in a van down by the river and singing her pretty songs and then they found her and i would only add jewel also killed it on the roblo roast um mm -hmm. that was fucking rad she was a, yeah the best thing you've been in is me <laughs> <laughs> almost got a spit take from jr almost got a spit take. Uh, very very close uh that was so good as a feminist, I'm appalled by the material out here tonight, but as an, someone who hates Ann Coulter, I'm delighted. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that about wraps up the show. Thanks so much for listening. Tell a friend about the show. Keep on listening. It's going to get more fun as we go throughout the summer. We're going to have, find a way to 302010 style celebrate the cinematic summer very soon. So stay tuned. What are we closing out with? Well, Men in Black does have a song, but right. it does not have a Will Smith raps over a much better song song. He passed the it torch. It has a Pitbull mm -hmm. raps over a better song song <laughs> <laughs> but at least talks significantly about the men in black i like that did will smith stop singing songs for his movies good i question. think it's it's probably earlier than you think because like i don't did he i don't think he did anything for men in black too and wild wild west went in the last time and mm. prove us wrong listeners we got a lovely laser time facebook community comment section facebook page and twitter his last album was in 2005 wow Wow. I'm guessing Stevie Wonder Art. ran out of music to sample. Oh, old school Will Smith slam. Everybody's in on it now. <laughs> but let's close yeah, us out with... I don't with, see any tie-in songs on it. Let's close out with Pitbull's Immortal Back in Time from the MIB3 soundtrack. Thank you very much, people. We'll see you next week. But to understand the future, we have to go back in time. Woo!